O seas of Caladan, O people of Duke Leto, citadel of Leto fallen, fallen forever. From Songs of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we'll open a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club. Oh, and Mike, we're at the end of book one. We did it. We did it. That's so exciting. I know. I'm calling this a season. I know you're a little opposed no, to that. No, this isn't a season. I know. No. If we I get did, to Messiah, that's a new season. For sure. I just want the accomplishment. <laughs> you just, just want the little I'm, badge. I just <laughs> want to take the little sticker of achievement. Achievement earned. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Oh, and uh, I let you take the reins for the wine today, Mike. Yeah. What, what'd you get? Now, I got, where's that bottle? It's way over here, get closer. Out of our reach. Closer because... to me because I'm going to let you do it. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect planning. Um, this one is called Jam by Jam Sellers. Now, uh, this one I've been eyeing for a little while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't exactly tell you why that is right now. But I'll tell you right now, this... Uh, this wine's going to lead us places. There are different avenues of possibility in our future, <laughs> and uh, it's going to come back around here soon. We have uh, so, different avenues of flavor. Different avenues wine. of flavor, yes. This, yeah, you described this to me pretty aptly, actually. Like, uh, well, because like, you set up the room, and while you set up the room, I take the time to yeah. pour the first glass of wine. <laughs> I sip. noticed that it was already cracked open. <laughs> and uh, I would describe this as like a... It's like a fern unraveling in your mouth, and then like all those tendrils are just different flavors that go to the, all the corners of it, and it just it blooms with flavor. I and think blooming was a really good way of describing it. It's uh, it's sweet, it's complex, and then you're right, it's got like a really long finish, but it doesn't feel unpleasant or anything like no, that. No, no, and it, it just sort of like sits there, and I felt like it wasn't so much of an aftertaste; it's just that like lingering middle taste, mm. and uh, it was it's so full in your mouth, it's delicious. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm digging this. I don't see any uh, any notes on the back, but yeah, this is just... I'm saying spice, but... <clears throat> uh, <laughs> spice. Yeah. Yeah, no, for I, sure. I never know uh, what to put it down, but it is... It's very dark. It's very heavy. See, like we we're not the we're not accomplished sommeliers, so we can't really give you the in depth. Like, oh, it's got a hint of pepper and a little bit of sherry here, mm-hmm. but we can say like, looks like a plant. Looks like a plant. Tastes like a plant. <laughs> T- tastes like I'm sure a fern would be in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Guarantee it. What was uh, the, what was the chapter fourteen? Like graveyard full of ponies. That's what that tastes like. <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's there was one that I didn't enjoy. I think it was last week's wine. I didn't enjoy as much. But oh, was it? I don't have as much memory of it. I'd have to play back and see what past Derek thought of it. You know what? It was because at the end of it, we loved it. By the end, we did love it by the end of it. <laughs> in the beginning, we're just like, I don't know about this one. It grew on us. <laughs> so actually, the Derricks are out on this one. I don't think you'll ever get a consensus. That was like a Stockholm line. Yeah. <laughs> That's the effect the Harkonnens have on you. Oh! <laughs> you just, and maybe that's what Pit Piter did to you. Oh, God, maybe. I don't know. A little Stockholm Piter. But let's uh, let's dig into this one, Mike. Oh, my God. Going? We Derek. Had, uh, yeah. This chapter. This chapter was something else. There. Okay. So I had a, an analogy for how this chapter made me feel. Mm-hmm. It felt like Which, I was... Maybe it was I brought under myself because last week, you know, maybe I did a little bit of bad mouthing on Frank Herbert. I said like, "Oh, I think he could have done better. I think he could have reached more, or gone a little, <laughs> gone a little deeper." <laughs> and uh, I found myself in a dark alley, and Frank Herbert was there, and he beat the shit out of me with his chapter. <laughs> he just went to like, town. Oh, you, you want a plot twist? <laughs> you want a plot twist? 
Put on some brass knuckles. All Hold him, Elmorte. Bam, bam. <laughs> you know he'd roll with Elmorte. Yeah. yeah. Pin him down. So uh, yeah, no, that's how I felt. That was. Oh. It's it's a lot of revelations. It was a lot of revelations, but like it was also frightening. What was so frightening about it? Um, part of it was just the mood that I was uh, listening to it in because I actually listened to the audio of this one first before reading it. Sure. Um, I'm glad that I did because it hit. It set such an interesting tone. Um, I went outside to uh, the local store, just grabbed a snack, and sat on a bench uh, by uh, Longfellow Square. It was like just sort of gray skies, a couple of raindrops falling down. And I listened mm. to this on uh, my headphones, and oh, oh it was <laughs> while they're sitting in this dark, yeah, in this tent. Mm. It was it was intense. It was intense. And um, I don't know if you ever have this feeling when like reading a book. Sometimes uh, when I read a book with a character I can like really uh, sympathize with or really like feel for. I usually put myself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. But in this particular book, because there's so many interesting characters, I see, almost feel like a poltergeist just sort of like walking through and observing as like a third party. Yeah, I, I but able to like hear their thoughts. For sure. Yeah. You yeah. feel like a re- like a very empathetic fly on the wall. Exactly. Mm. Um, and this one, I felt like Lady Jessica, you know, side of the tent, just sort of like back against the wall. I felt like I was there sitting next to her, like, it's okay, hon. <laughs> like, it's okay. I was saying, but still a little third party. Yeah, no. Def- definitely that side of the tent, though. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, we're all giving Paul some space today. Of, uh, oh, my gosh. This is uh, a, kind of like his bat mitzvah. This is when Paul becomes a man today. <laughs> He's no longer a boy. <laughs> this is the weirdest bat mitzvah I've ever seen. I've only been to one, so I, I don't know if they're all the same. <laughs> Maybe they vary. This is it. <laughs> definitely not this um, um anywho derek i want you to take the reins i'm just gonna jump in with lots of questions and theories as we go all right all right i'll try to just keep us on the rails yeah as best i can let's uh start like we always do with this little quote we have it's almost like a bit of a, a dirge for uh duke leto yeah a little bit of him on the caladan and the citadel of leto fallen fallen forever it's very macabre it is, and I mean, I, I like where it's placed here, being at the end of this one. Like, we, we're we not going to see Leto again. Like, it's already... Oh, no, passed. I have a feeling. Sure, sure, but I mean, like, even uh, Paul's not going to get a moment with, like, the body, per se, or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, we're not going to have our, our own funeral ceremony when we finally get some time to, like, sit and think about what's happened. Right. Uh, so I think it's interesting to put at the close of the first book, we're also, again, saying goodbye to Leto, sort mm-hmm. of marking the passing of this epoch. And... Uh, that last bit of it, fallen forever, coming off with the ellipsis, like letting you know there's there's no coming back. And where does that put you at? Like, um, you know, where we know where this chapter is going to end, but like, mm-hmm. where, where do you think we're going to spill out into now? Oh, that feels loaded because I think uh, I think in Paul's mind, he already has an idea of which way he wants to go because he can see. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. he can he's, see those he's paths. Cheating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's definitely cheating, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm trying to put some of the pieces together. And we'll, well, we'll take I guess, this. Like, not to like take you, uh, have you do this. Uh, you're not like uh, casting augury here and like trying to read <laughs> no. it all up, but more of like with Fallen Forever, they're like, do you get the feeling that we're ever going back to the Imperium, even just like that basic of a thing? Well, I think this Cit- Citadel of Leto Fallen, I think this is talking about the House of Trades specifically. Okay. Because um, it says Citadel of Leto. Oh, you like, I like that. Um, yeah, yeah. But because if. Uh, Oh, I love how it's addressed uh, as like OCs of Caladan too. Do you think to the, you see how there's like the dash after that uh, Duke Leto is the people maybe the Citadel in a way? Because you know he always wants to rule from the people. Oh, interesting. And that's like his and base and his Paul, foundation. Paul does mention that like the power behind a great house is the people. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a little connection. There. I don't think there is too much of a thing. It's I don't such think like so. a, a short little quib. Um, the big uh, thing too is uh, this isn't by Moody. This is Songs of Moody. This sounds just like a children's sort of like nursery book almost. Because this is not a very long song. Uh, yeah, was the dirge for Jameis also a song of Modib? 
I think it might have been. Right along that same. Uh, I think it was. No, I think it might have been Sane's Modib. I'm going to check this out real quick, actually. Sure, yeah, look that one up. It is Songs of Modib. Yeah, all right. Hmm. So, yeah, it's not the, not the maybe first song that we've uh, learned. I guess I've never heard Paul sing before. You don't? No. <laughs> yeah, no. so I just, I don't know. He's, I don't... he's a little more reserved than Gurney. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... Do you think it's part of Muad'Dib the musical? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Just it's like, like Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, he's like, like uh, Mormons. The, the music. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's some like satirical take on the Moadib. <laughs> the Moadib story. <laughs> That's gotta be what it is. Oh, but with that, Mike, let's move on to this chapter. Yeah. And we have a lot to plow through. Okay, yeah. Lay it on me, man. A big one. So get your questions ready. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to start us right at the beginning here. Um, where we are, let's see. Um, we're moving forward in time a little bit. From yeah. when we last saw Paul and Jessica, they were about to run across the sand. Yeah, so we all run. Yep, there was an ominous thopter coming over the edge. We didn't know what was in that. It's gonna turn out that was Idaho. That it was, was Duncan Idaho. Idaho. Down. So, so I was correct from last time, sort of like guessing that, that was gonna be Duncan coming to the rescue. Yep, and uh, I was definitely wrong for even uh, entertaining the notion that he was in that back room for a second, getting tortured. Paul, though, he's he's going through some stuff, and that's going to be the juxt for this whole chapter, is that yeah. Paul's transitioning into, like, a super being, essentially. Right. Uh, and the powers within him are kind of awakening. And uh, we have this, like, opening uh, kind of paragraph going in where Paul felt that all this past, every experience before this night, had become sand curling in an hourglass. Mm. He sat near his mother, hugging his knees with a small fabric of the plastic hut, hut mint, a still tent. That had come from the Fremen clothing they now wore, uh, from the pack left in their thopter. So, and I include that too. The hugging of the knees brings us like very the, full circle. Like the first chapter. Mm-hmm. This is also great to look at in for, terms of metamorphosis. Yeah. From like, this is the last moment of his childhood. I think right here. Ooh, interesting. And also that like the last time he was kind of hugging his knees became there was like a, a trial that was sort of like a threshold moment for his life. It was immediately after. And and here's the thing too. It says that this started as the uh, the thopter came sort of skidding down. But uh, so he's already in the middle of like sort of going through this change. And I think, like I said, these are the last moments before he gets to getting more into the uh, actually having the waking dream. Yeah, the the waking dream is like another big moment. But like it goes into different stages. It's not just like all at once. Bam. Mm -hmm. Um, We're seeing like little bits tacked on one after another. And so we can sort of uh, not comprehend exactly what he's going through, but at least sort of understand some uh, similitude of what. Is going on and why his like uh manner of thinking is the way it is yeah and maybe that's kind of it too is a lot of it is him um checking it against jessica and sort Mm -hmm. of like affirming what's going on instead of like oh no everything is going a little bit faster for me right now right sort of describing each one of his senses that is improved and like when i say senses i'm not even i guess not even meaning that really but like the Mentat kind of senses that he right. has, the Bene Gesserit, these abilities and challenges. Well, I, I, um, I think what you were saying is a little bit more mature than where he is currently. I think mm-hmm. his first thought is, why is she so slow? Why is everyone so slow? He doesn't even comprehend the fact, I'm going too fast. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And that, uh, yeah, not seeing himself. Oh, that's sort of like that quote where, uh, remember when Tesco was talking with Thufir and just being like, you can't analyze yourself in a way? Right. Like, that's the hardest thing for you to like. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, that's really cool. But going on with this, we have uh, Paul looking into like his thoughts. He's sort of catching us up. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's the one who's filling in this time gap for us real quick. And he lets us know like he knows Yui is the traitor. Yeah. uh, Yui led them right into Duncan uh, Duncan Idaho's hands. And he's kind of put this together. He left the frame kit. Mm hmm. 
He's pointing all those signs and just that it's so like factual that, yep, Yui did this, but Yui also is responsible for these other actions happening. And um, Idaho has taken them to a rocky area where we're able to sort of hide the steel tent from any Harkonnen patrols that are going to be out and about. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, and then he had to leave them again. He's gone to meet up with uh, Dr. Kine. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely a gap here. Yes. Idaho killed people. Presumably, the other people following in a uh, in a thopter. Okay. Uh, well, because we know that people were killed from Piter's report. Um, well, we know that they found the bodies of Kinnett and Sego. Oh, is that that? Uh, that is, I think, the two dead bodies that were on there. Oh, okay. I thought. Okay. So I th- I think Idaho was in that thopter that comes down. Right. So like when Jessica says run, Paul hasn't seen it yet because remember he's turning and he's right. looking at Jessica. He sees her face. And then looks to see where she's looking. When Paul gives this recap here, he mentions that like once he saw the craft, he knew exactly who it was before it landed. Then he kind of describes the landing of it, which I love because uh, like when it skids down, there's sort of like a sulfur smell in the right. air. And I cued in on that because that's like telling me like his those are the senses that are amped up right now. Mm-hmm. Where like I think kind of like you're saying he's not catching how fast he's running. Right. But like that's what you're registering, Paul. Like right. well, your mom's only worried about that thopter. You're like, no, that's not a threat. Mm, there's sulfur in the air, the humidity is <laughs> at this weird tension. I think he the wind is those... southeasternly. I, I don't think he's focused on them though. I I think that uh he takes them all with sort of the same amount of stride. Kind of like a passive yeah. intake. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and I don't think that stops at any point here. Right, which is I think that is the difference though between yeah. him and Jessica. We're like when Jessica gets overwhelmed, as we've seen her in many chapters, has her stressful time on Arrakis. She has to stop. She has to breathe. She slips. Yeah. And things get by. Yui. <laughs> Yui gets, gets to walk right by. He gets a free pass. <laughs> Every uh-huh. time. <laughs> yep. These are things that, like, I think Paul, especially at this point, would have caught, no doubt, if we could turn back the clock and have right. him be at this uh, this level that he's at right now. Um, but so, Paul, uh, like I said, how they're hiding this tent, and it's in the rocks. He feels a lot of shame at that. And I think it says he's galled at this idea. Like he's the Duke now and he's hiding like a child. But at the same time, like yeah, he sees the wisdom in it. Mm-hmm. And the, like, in that, he uses the word logic, which true. That is a mentat right there of uh, he's like, I, you know, I, I see the logic in their choices for this because it sounds like it was Duncan and Jessica that really pushed for that. And yeah, this is the point where, again, like Paul isn't a child anymore. So he is officially the Duke now, too. He's mm-hmm. got that signet ring. And uh, we have this quote of uh, something had happened to his awareness this night. He saw with sharpened clarity every circumstance and occurrence around him. He felt unable to stop the inflow of data or the cold precision with which each new item was added to his knowledge and the computation was centered in his awareness. It was Mentat power and more. So that is always like uh, we said from the very beginning, Cole, you know, doing his big CV of abilities. Like, it's always Mentat and a little bit more. It's always Bene Gesserit and a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'm glad, like, this is the chapter where you learn what that more is. And, uh, yeah, I think you kind of said he, once that chop, uh, thopter came down, that's when it was started for right. Paul. And I think uh, for that, it was that moment of danger that was, like, yeah. the trigger for or, it. Or, like, the idea that, like, this could be the end. You're mm-hmm. right. Um, I'm wondering if this may have even started a little bit earlier with that hunter seeker sure or yeah. maybe even with uh no actually no it definitely started earlier because it was when guys hell behind came because that's when he first felt that terrible purpose i think that terrible purpose that's the first little bit of it sort of popping up 
Because, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I think with each moment that you highlighted there, there is an extreme point of threat and danger that immediately follows. Oh, no, absolutely. That, yeah, that would like trigger that up. Um, the Hunter Seeker one, I think, is even more. That one really, as you say that, like hadn't occurred to me. But I, that one really should stand out. We're like, because mm-hmm. he's already gone through these physical changes, uh, you know, let alone we do bring up he's in puberty this whole time. Right. But like transferring from the planet, coming to this whole new world, that's a big shock. And then have the death confront you right away to meet the Fremen right after like yeah you would think that all of them would hit up and uh jessica did note it after that point um when he runs up the cold command in his voice yeah you know when he's saying the orders and stuff and that's exactly what we see come out here so it definitely was a little bit of shades of the same entity so to speak my my thoughts were he's going into duke mode but i think it's more than duke mode i think it's something better than something a duke mode. yeah this is all all quizza tatarak um so like you said uh paul knowing it was idaho just from the minutia of data that he took in the way he flew the dash of the landing and Jessica's not able to reach that same conclusion, especially within like the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love it when Idaho, uh, when he lands down, he's already like hanging out the thing. He's like, There's worm coming. Get in. Get in. I'm not stopping. Yeah. <laughs> you get the first, first gear's broken. <laughs> get in. <laughs> Just kind of idling on the yeah. sand. <laughs> Goes faster. You take out any of the regulators. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, I imagine, yeah, he just did like a dip and run. And so they get in, they take off, worm comes and gets rid of evidence, I assume. Yeah, because we we know that worm shows up, as was uh, mentioned previously. And so, yeah, then we're off to wherever this hiding spot is. And Um, uh, I assume Duncan's going to try to get the Fremen. Yeah, well, he's on his way to meet up with Kynes. Oh, Uh, Paul lets us know that. Uh, Because basically, Paul's telling Jessica eventually, like, hey, we might have to move here in a bit. And uh, I guess I'll get right to it when uh, that comes up in the thing. But But we we do, uh, we come back to the present at this point. So after I was kind of left, and uh, we're in the still tent, Paul and Jessica. Mm -hmm. They are sitting across from each other. And uh, Jessica is speculating that there can only be one explanation the Harkonnens had Wana. But you know, but she can't put a finger on why Yui saved us. Yeah, and this is that first moment where Paul's sort of just like, "Oh, it's like, whoa, yeah, you're way behind, like, lady, definitely." And uh, Paul knew this fact while he was reading Yui's letter, <laughs> like way back when he first set down. Yeah, this is probably before Idaho really got there. I mean, here's the thing: he's putting the pieces together faster than he's reading this letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think I think all he needed was to see that it was in Yui's writing, and he's yeah. got that. And uh, I wanted to actually give Yui the proper you know uh recognition for his spot in history and we'll read his letter because this is this is technically yui's last words i guess you're right yeah in a lot of ways so we have uh do not try to forgive me i do not want your forgiveness i already have enough burdens what i have done was done without malice or hope of another's understanding it was my own tahadi al burin my ultimate test i give you the atreides ducal signet as token that I write truly. By the time you read this, Duke Leto will be dead. Take consolation from my assurance that he did not die alone. That one we hate above all others died with him. I can't believe he'd say that about Piter. And uh, <sighs> it, uh, it has not been addressed or signed. So he's leaving that behind. I, I did kind of read into him not addressing or signing it. I wonder if that is like even more to under underline the notion that he's not looking for their forgiveness. True. Of like, you don't need to know this is from me. Like, you'll figure it out. If you don't, it's not that important kind Fair. of deal, even away. But uh, your gasp, Mike. Tahadi Alburin. Yeah. Glossary word, right? Yeah, it's a glossary word. Glad to see that one come up. It was the ultimate test from which there is... Uh, there is no appeal. No appeal. Usually, usually resulting in death. death. Exactly. So, Oof. Uh, having him 
use that. It makes me feel like, because uh, that would have been the word. It's definitely uh, from the OC Bible. Yeah, the OC Bible and the Imperium is like mm-hmm. kind of abroad, uh, more so than just the Fremen, which is what I would have uh, initially. That's what I kind of thought it was from. Lean towards. Uh, which is why you got to love the OC Bible for being so uh, culminative and taken from all the religions. But you're right. Um, and here's the thing. This will this will never go down in any history books. This will just live on in Paul. Paul, I guess. Yeah, kind of Paul and Jessica. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder I wonder if he saves the note. Probably not. He might not be, uh, be able oh, to. Oh, you know who else is going to live on in? Who's that? Uh, Lady Jessica's daughter. Uh, oh, wait, why? Because uh, can't the uh, sisters look, can't the sisters look back on their uh, matriarchal memories? Okay, I want you to know you're correct. You're correct for the wrong reason. Oh, of like her daughter will know this letter. Okay, her daughter is going to know this letter forward and backwards. Um, probably I'm gonna yeah like before she's born. Figure that one out. Okay, moving well, on. Uh, well, I mean, I just figured because uh, they can. Uh, the Bene Gesserit can look back into their maternal memories. Well, the Reverend Mothers. Right. Fair. But this one... Oh, okay, wait, wait a second. Because this, uh, this daughter... Oh, wait. Oh, damn. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> damn it. Damn it. <laughs> that was... I mean, I intentionally oh. wrench in there more. <laughs> you bastard. Oh. <laughs> We're going back to this one. We're going back to this one. All right. So um, from here, after reading that note, we kind of get a, a little view into, like, Paul's mind here. And... Um, Remembering the letter, Paul re-experiences the distress of that moment, a, star- a sharp and strange thing that seemed to happen outside of him, or I'm sorry, outside of his new mentat alertness. He had read that his father was dead, known the truth of the words, but he had felt no more than another datum being entered into the mind and used. He is, his mind is going so fast, it can't stop and take the time to process the loss. Yeah, it's like... That's uh, so upsetting. says, but he felt nothing except... Here's an important fact. Oh, and it just gets filed away and he can't like turn it off. He can't change it. But I like that. He, he is aware of it, though. Oh, yeah. No. Isn't that so strange to be like caught up and also viewing it. Uh, but in the stream of it and it is it's distressing for him. Well, that's the thing. So we've got we're, we're connecting all the pieces right now. We've got his ability to see the minutia in these things. Mm hmm. Um, just take in all this information, process. the ability to process it, catalog it, mm-hmm. uh, store it and connect dots and you know the little yarn there to everything um but he can't like he's just unable to emotionally i don't know it's like his emotions are sort of like suppressed right now because there's so much going on Ooh, yeah yeah you, like, you, emotion and mentat mode don't really go together well they're i think by training not supposed to yeah you know? like you intentionally are like isolating them but i feel like uh something different is here than like that dichotomy okay. of the mind like since it always is a little bit bigger of like whatever this um terrible purposes for it um is that i feel like at that moment the thing that worries paul the most is he doesn't know if that emotion is going to come back oh yeah like that's scary like yeah what if like what if i never feel that again and, it, and it's weird because he loves his father mm. his truth sense tells him that's true and he's not lying to himself i think that's the most annoying part of this whole thing is that the true sense keeps chiming in to be like well that's true but he's like that's not what i want to feel <laughs> not like, i don't just want to know if i yeah. love my father i want to feel the love for my father <laughs> like i don't that's just need to like... scary yeah and so i just wanted to put that in the point of like keeping in mind he doesn't know if he will feel that again and while he's going through this chapter we're gonna i think this is where we get the first of a few quotes we, well. like, I mean, we get a lot. Of, everybody's going to make a little little uh, appearance, a little cameo, because like Yui's last words come in. We're going to get Leto's last words. We have a little Gurney Halleck right here. These are all not just la- like 
words. Leto and Yui are last words. Yeah, they but, are, but not just um, words from these individuals. Words that we have experienced in this book. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like the Halleck one. Yeah. Because uh, the Halleck one, it's the perfect quote. for It's his best quote so far. And to have it come up at this point and Paul using it in a useful way, not even like cheeky, mm-hmm. which is how it was told to him. Right. Uh, it was a bit of a quid. But yeah, mood's a thing for cattle or for making love. You fight when the necessity arises, no matter your mood. And he, that like helps Paul and he's able to accept that. And he just hopes that he'll be able to mourn later, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, you know, gives but him a now is not the time for mood. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, maybe that's what I just need to keep in mind to get through this moment. Mm-hmm. Like you're right. And, but uh, it's so funny that that quote of all quotes is what pops up. Why, why do you think of all quotes of all things that he has learned and memorized and catalog? This one pops up. I just wonder why that is. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I th- I think especially because of mood and uh, that. I mean, I use this as the word. You know what? I didn't catch on this the first time. I do. This one also uses necessity. Oh, when the necessity arises, no matter your mood, and that has been a word that's permeated so many of our glossary definitions. That's true. As well as like the people talking about it, characters using that word. So that, maybe that is also a big reason why that cues in for right now. Um, but we get that. Uh, yeah, his new awareness, it's not letting up. It's growing. It's like getting bigger and more powerful. And the sense of terrible purpose he first experienced in his ordeal with the Reverend Mother, Gaius Helmahayim, pervaded him. His right hand, the hand of remembered pain, tingled and throbbed. Love that. The hand of that's remembered insane. pain. I feel like that is a very personal thing that's always with him. Like, whether or not that ever spreads out to other people uh, mm-hmm. that, like, learn his story and stuff right. like that. Like, I feel like. Oh, that, that's an Iran book. I guarantee you. Well, I just, I wonder <laughs> if the hand of remembered pain is something that he keeps to himself, which is like, that's what he refers to that as. I don't know. It's super cool. Um, ooh. And you know, remember what the other moon symbol is? The hand. Oh, whoa. Wait, you just put that together. Now is that something you thought about for a while? No, just kind of think of it in the moment. Uh, Are you having a a Paul moment right now? I'm just seeing multiple avenues, Mike. I mean, it doesn't really ever come up, but I'm just thinking that must be why that is that. That's so cool. That's the only other way I could connect that to Paul. Obviously, the mouse symbol we know more deep. Right, right. But I wonder if the hand is meant to be the hand of remembered pain. Oh, wait. It's never... I don't know if it's described as a right hand or left hand. I don't know if it even matters, but if it was right hand, I'd be like, oh, absolutely, absolutely. guaranteed. Right. But I do like that. That's really good. That's cool. We're running with it at least. And then uh, that line that I read to you is immediately followed with, is this what it is to be their Kwisach Haderach, he wondered. And in that line, he uses theirs, the possessive, mm-hmm. the Bene Gesserit's Kwisach Haderach. This is, you know, he's feeling a little bit used. We're going to see that build up into yeah. a, a manipulated. Now, um, Jessica kind of cuts back in that she thought Hawat had failed, possibly, in assessing Yui. Um, kind of like bringing Paul back in. Because these moments Paul's having are sort of in his own. Like, each yeah. time we are going to, like, it, or each time Jessica chimes back in, it sort of brings us back to reality. And we're like, oh, it's only been like half a second. Right. <laughs> um, and, w- but we're also sort of getting the idea, the uh, same feeling from Paul. It's like, oh, you're still on that? Like, we're talking about, like, Quisach Hotterock yeah, stuff? It's like, yeah. yeah, no, of course, yeah. Yui was definitely a Zook doctor. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to yeah, worry about he's, that. He's able to, like, keep right back into her each yeah. time. Like, oh, that's what you're talking about. But there's, like, some serious time dilation between them. And uh, Paul just assures her, yes, Yui was a souk. And uh, he's again just shocked by how slow she is. And then Paul starts worrying about Idaho um, contacting Kai. That's right. That's where it's mentioned. Yeah. So he's saying, like, you know, he's not our only hope. 
Uh, or she says that, and uh, Paul, he is just like dead set, not, truth sense yeah. speaking kind of right now. And he's just like, that's not what my suggestion was. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's not what I said. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not listening. It's sort of <laughs> like what he's telling her right there. And she heard the steel in his voice, the sense of command, and stared across the gray darkness of the steel tent at him. Paul was a silhouette against moon-frosted rocks seen through the tent's transparent end. Now that mm. is the image we need to keep in our mind for the rest of this uh, chapter. It's going to be Jessica looking at Paul, but there's kind of like no light in his tent. When they have the little manual book, it has like a little glow tab. That like has, a green glow. Yeah, light green glow. But for the most part, Paul's going to be like silhouetted like that ornithopter wing was against the stars. Mm. Only now him against this moon frosted cliff. And like she's going to be kind of helpless watching him, knowing like she can't help him in any way or do anything. Right. Uh, especially when she starts noticing her son is in distress. Um, but so Jessica, she wants them to find uh, the remnants of uh, these Atreides soldiers that mm-hmm. are out there. Paul dismisses this out of hand. Uh, he's like, we're going to depend on ourselves. So we, they don't worry. Right. Uh, but the first order of business is going to be to get the family atomics back. Did we talk about family atomics? Um, I don't know. I mean, we touched on uh, just the, what they were with uh, the Great Convention. But th- this might very well be the first time they're kind of coming up. So family atomics, is that just basically a house's stash of nukes in case anything goes down? Exactly. So sort just for mutually like, assured destruction. Yep. Everybody's got them, but no one's allowed to use them. But we all keep them for some reason. <laughs> That's so silly. Yeah. And uh, so what's even sillier is that um, th- so they're hidden on a racket somewhere. And like Jessica feels comfortable enough not searching them out right away. It's like they're, they're good. And I'm just like, what? No matter what you guys did, like how well hidden could they really be? At the very least, the Fremen should have an up a pretty good leg up on finding them. Mm-hmm. Or one person could be talk- in one of two towns. Well, like- I'm just like, oh yeah, right. Like two I mean, like really. But just like. You know, unless it was only Thufirhawa who personally lugged them off the freighter and hid them by himself in the rocks. Like, there's got to be an Atreides soldier who could be picked up and talk and know something. It just seems really weird. So I am all for Paul finding these. I'm like, yeah, let's get that right now. Like, let's not have that be out out there. And um, Jessica's thinking like, uh, oh, my God, blackmail with a family atomics is a threat on the planet and its spice. That's what he has in mind. And I'm thinking that, like, she's got to be wrong. Yeah, she's got to be wrong. She's been wrong about everything in this chapter. (laughs) Now, like, normally we don't hate on Jessica. We give her a problem. But this chapter alone, she's she's not bringing her A game. No, it's it's less about Jessica, and this is just more about Paul is just too fast. He's got the need for speed. Mm -hmm. So, like, we don't ever get Paul's sort of rebuttal, because that's internal for her. So we don't get Paul's uh, rebuttal to that to tell her if she's right or wrong. But I think that... uh, I'm going to say she could be like half right in a way. Like I, I can see Maybe. Paul enter, you know, at least wanting to have that op, you know, not, well, not that's give thing, something it's up. an option or mm-hmm. it's a tool. But yeah. Again, for somebody who's seen all the possibilities, we know Paul can't rule it out. So to speak, mm-hmm. um, get the power to blow up worms. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we, you know, uh, we did our gurney callback. We get a little Howat callback. Now. Yeah. And uh, remembering Howat's words, I think this is um, Paul. What are he thinking about the men that are lost, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. His mom had brought up that the the people and you know, and Paul's train of thought goes to like a Duke's concern for all the people they lost that night. People are the true strength of a great house. And he remembered Howat's words. Parting with people is a sadness. A place is only a place. Never it's before. so funny too, because like, the, the context of that quote was back when they were leaving Caladan. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it, it was about the place specifically when he said that, but he's talking about it in context and specifically in relation to the people. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Taking, taking the little inverse of it. I love it. Perfect wordplay there. Right. And building up, like, the castle doesn't matter. People matter. And that is uh, something that we want to see be part of, like, Paul's foundational teaching. Mm -hmm. And it, clearly he's not going to forget that one. Now, Paul makes it clear that they are here to, uh, like, the Harkonnens are here to exterminate them. And they're not going to let up. Like, they're going to mm -hmm. comb through the desert until they find them at this point. Uh, Jessica, she kind of turns away. She's frightened by the bitter strength in her son's voice and, like, just how precise he is. Like, I mm. feel like you re she's got that truth approximation is what we give her. Not full-on truth sense. And I think it's, like, ringing each time he says something. Like, there's no fault in it. Right. That's going to be oh, what happens. And uh, she sensed that his mind had leaped ahead of her, that it now saw more in some respects than she did. She had helped train the intelligence which did this, but now she found herself fearful of it. Her thoughts turned, seeking towards the lost, sanctu uh, lost sanctuary of her duke, and tears burned her eyes. So she is watching this in Paul, and it's starting to, like, it's intimidating and worrisome to her. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she's kind of like, you know, a dog chasing the wheel here when she was going after the Kwisatz Haderach mm -hmm. and had no idea what it was she was fully walking into or, like, uh, kind of creating on behalf of the Bene Gesserit. This is also sort of her finally seeing, like, uh, sort of a taste of the Mentat uh, power that Paul's exuding right now because she mentions that he has a precise assessment of chances. Yeah, yeah, frightened by the, the bitter strength hearing. I don't think, um, huh, I get, I get what you're saying with the Mentat, but I, I don't think she has been, it's not like she didn't know he was a Mentat up to this point. Oh, no, for sure. But, I mean, like, his he had Mentat capabilities, not him being a Mentat, you know what I mean? This is, uh, I, w I would push back on that a little bit. Like the Mentat isn't like a one day you're just like, oh my god, and you're, you're a Mentat, like, Harry. You compute, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah no. you compute everything one morning. <laughs> no, no, but no, no, I agree, and that's why I think it's so chilling to her because he does say it with such authority and such sternness and confidence. And I guess you're right, truth to a a point. Like right, he but, says that with absolute, like it cutting through with his other abilities is kind of what you're saying. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Just like the just the fact that like it start, it's heightening up so so much faster and stronger than sure. it yeah, ever yeah. has before, and, and all of it at once. Being, right. When I say that, I mean like his mentat abilities, his Bene Gesserit abilities, mm -hmm. his basic Paul abilities, whatever he was as a human. You know, uh, imagine like all the skills Gurney, Halleck, and them have given those practical skills. All that's going up too. Uh, the the thing I want to really highlight here was precision. Okay. Of yeah, just like with the precise assessments. Yeah. yeah. Like something so precise and with he's got that confidence about it. Like it's not a matter of like, could it be? It's like these are the chances. Mm -hmm. Like I've already done the math a million times. Yeah, no, I, I can see where you're coming from. And like how oh, how terrifying that is for her now to see it all. Mm -hmm. Maybe even uh, after her meeting with Thufir too. Like she's been dealing with Mentats right. left and right. I wonder how Thufir would have reacted to this. Ooh. I would have liked Thufir. And Gaius Helmahayim to be in like, oh, you know, a little side room and just to hear them both comment on it. Because like they both come from different places, but they they're done yelling at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why we well, remember how he got to like they both did respect each other on that one note. Right. I mean, like, yeah, you're right. He, he needs to relearn. He does need to learn some more. <laughs> I feel like there would be something like that. I want that. I feel like they'd find that one bit of common ground and be like, he is good. He's that's, that's a good mentat. <laughs> or just like kids kind of weird. <laughs> we, we've gone too far. <laughs> we each step across the line. <laughs> Jessica, you're pregnant. Let's start over. <laughs> it's not an option. 
Um, but so, uh, that's not the last time we hear precise, and that's why I wanted to just highlight it now. Oh, okay. Uh, is it come up again in yeah, this chapter? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think off the top of my yeah, head. We'll I, it. I, I must have it in we'll here somewhere. It. it didn't stand out as important to me when I was going through uh, it, yeah, but yeah. I'm glad that that word caught to you then. Um, so then uh, looking into this, Jessica is kind of just thinking of like, this is the way it had to be, Leto, she thought. A time of love and a time of grief. Mm. She rested her hand on her abdomen. Awareness focused on the embryo there. I have the Atreides daughter I was ordered to produce. But the Reverend Mother was wrong. A daughter wouldn't have saved my Leto. This child is only life reaching for the future in the midst of death. I've conceived out of instinct and not out of obedience. So with this one here, um, I kind of read through this and it piqued my like the hair on my neck a little bit, but I think I read it kind of wrong in the, uh, I have the Atreides daughter I was ordered to produce, but the Reverend mother was wrong. A daughter wouldn't have saved my Leto. Do you think that kind of meant that like this daughter was ordered or she referred to her mistake with Paul back in the day? I think to the mistake back in the day, here's the thing though. I don't ever recall guys telling behind saying, if you had a daughter, this never would have happened. I think she's putting words into Reverend mother's mouth. She's not saying that she said that. Just that, like, the Reverend Mother was wrong. A daughter wouldn't have saved my Leto. So it's not like we're saying verbatim, but whatever would have caused, I think maybe, yeah. I think she feels guilty that sure. somehow she caused this. Jessica does? For not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. not having that daughter in the first place. But now she- And she thought, like, maybe this can still be saved somehow if I do this now. Not because she was ordered to do it, but because it's desperation. The daughter now? Yeah. Yeah. You, wait, what do you think, when you just said now, you think something- for why she conceived the child now? You think something would be saved, or? I don't know. I think uh, her talk with Guy's Helma Haim really stuck with her, and that somehow she felt like maybe if I have this daughter, um, some, we can, like, save this and put this back together somehow. Uh, maybe, you know, thought we'd get a little further along in the conceiving and birth and the growing up process, mm-hmm. um, not to lose Leto a week afterwards. So the last line in that paragraph, I mean, I conceived out of instinct and not out of obedience. Do you think that's still referring back to the Paul birth then? Or is that talking about this conception? This conception. Because it, uh, the daughter is a subject of this. So right. I think it's still talking so, about the daughter. The only thing I get that, so like the obedience part then, do you think oh, well, she, no, was, it, was she instructed to have this daughter? Were the Bene Gesserit trying to like recoup something? Was Gaius Helen there because Jessica was pregnant? With the daughter? I, well, maybe. Do you think that maybe it's like some... Certainly she was going to test Paul no matter what. But I wonder if like in that I moment, if she, that tear going down the face oh my where God. they shared that whole conversation, was that The mystery tear? The mystery tear. Was that part of it? Was that shared between them? Because um, oh, I definitely man. get the sense when I... Because I bet that she would be able to tell. I don't know about that because Jessica even says like I think the only reason Paul knows is because he sees the future. Well, no, I'm, not because he no, sees. You no, know, you're absolutely her. right. Sure. You're absolutely right. But it's also guys held Mahayam, and she's just like <laughs> <laughs> she's the best. She's the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, even if we give her the mitts, maybe let's say she does. Uh, I don't know what that builds up to, but I like. Um, I told you before when we talked about Jessica would allude kind of why she had this baby. This is the only line that I really get from it, and what I would say I, I am able to interpret from. But like, this child is only life reaching for the future in the midst of death. I conceived out of instinct and not out of obedience. So, I take that as like her being with Leto, knowing that like 
feeling the vice grip of this like trap kind of set up right. on them that she just like went for it. It was like, I need to bring a child into this world. Mm-hmm. Not any further thought beyond that. And yeah, then and we I, end up where we are. I mentioned desperation and that's not mentioned here. And I think I may have misspoke. I think instinct is probably the better thing to take away from this. Maybe it is a bit of prescience or something because it was on instinct. It was on, on like uh, it was on instinct that she had Paul as well. Like she had an inkling of a feeling with him. You think oh. that there might be something like that associated with this daughter? No, I, I would I would color instinct very differently between those two. Okay, like uh, the ins when I would use instinct in this one, I feel like it's more of a self preservation, like wild animal kind of like you know I need to trapped live. in a corner. I need, yeah, I need well, I need something. I need the genes to keep going, like regardless of if it's me or not. Oh. Like I need to create life to keep on. Uh, with the Paul one being the more love and the Quisatotarak, that's more of a je- like uh, not jealous that she would want to be the one to produce the Quisat, you know, kind right. of like putting yourself in a more thoughtful thing, less mm-hmm. than like instinctual, like a uh, primal urge. I think it was more of a rational thought, uh, though it was colored by her love for Leto. Certainly. Uh, but it definitely was a choice. Um, but yeah, so that, that just was a paragraph that really stands out to me. Uh, and I wanted to bring up with the guys held my high and bit, especially to be like, throw that out there. Hey, chapter one, little, little look back. There you go. Uh, do you think it could have been or chapter three, I guess was the tier. So, um, Paul tells her to, uh, try the commuter net receiver again. <laughs> Classic 1960s um, radio, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> which wouldn't it be a transceiver? Don't you think it could transmit and receive? Do we have a different one for both? Um, but we got the commuter net is our little radio network, um, that our whistles would have been attached to if later got the whistle program going. whistle. Yep. And, uh, Jessica kind of searches over the bands and we get a few reports coming in that are going to color what's going on in the, uh, greater Arrakis area. So the first thing we hear is that the guild bank in Carthag has been sacked. Yeah. By Sardaukar disguised as Atreides. (gasps) Not quite. That's the second report we get. No. Yes. What? Um, there, because uh, she scans over, and there's another guy who's like, and there are Sadokar in Atreides uniforms. <laughs> the point with the guild bank is just to highlight that the Harkonnens are trying to set them up. No, no, no. Okay, wait a second. Sure, sure. Wait a second. Back and regroup at the ridge. Uh, Fado reports no survivors in Carthag, and the guild bank has been sacked. Carthag, Jessica thought. That was a Harkonnen hotbed. They're Sardaukar, the voice said. Watch out for Sardaukar in Atreides uniforms. They're... It's oh, the same so person one, speaking. One, okay, yeah. I, I guess I, I thought she was like uh, searching over the bands and going a few like... But no, no, I think you're the way you just read that. There's one fluid guy giving the report, and it just breaks with their being like, oh, that's the Harkonnen hotbed, and then come back in to the guy still talking. It ends with the Sardaukar chopping his head off. Sure. Oh, I, <laughs> whoa! I assumed he was fine. Uh, oh, I think they're was, all fine. I think it's all. Right. I think he's. I think they're he's just okay. Taking naps. Yeah. Everyone's sleeping. Everyone's tired. No, wait a second. Trades. <laughs> that's how we get the Harkonnens. We get them when they nap. <laughs> um, but uh, no. So, right, but so you're right. So the Sadokar are in Atreides uniforms, attacking the Guild Bank to mm-hmm. set up the Atreides and frame them. Now, I don't think this was part of the plan initially. I think this is uh, part of the Baron. We must. Uh, what did he say? We must adapt. I, we must. I interpreted this differently. I think this is part of the plan, and I think that's why there's a specific Harkonnen agent in the guild bank. No, because here's the thing. So he says we must adjust. So they have to change with the plan and what they're doing. And part of the reason why is because uh, the lady and the boy are missing. They're not dead like they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't need the guild bank to uh, uh, or the guild to not like bring people off if not for the fact that like. They knew they were out there alive still. Well, well, what do you think stopping people from getting off is doing? Why is uh, to tell well, that the land's rad? 
about about the emperor allying with the Specific, yeah so specifically the Sadokar involvement right the baron attacking the duke is fine the baron because attacking the duke over on arrakis is fine yep all that is above board but it's the emperor's involvement that they it can is, it is only the Sadokar that we can't let people know about so okay. even Jessica and Paul, I think, are fair game. Okay, so I see what you're saying, though. So what they're doing then is making it so that the guild or the uh, yeah the guild is on sort of not against, on their side, but they're against the Atreides. The Atreides. Yeah, that'd be the way to phrase it. Yeah, yeah. And okay, that makes a lot of sense. So now the guild is going to block any Atreides try to get off. They're going to be like, well, hell no, guy. You broke our little, whatever little point of a treaty there is with We got us. like five rules and you broke four of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they're all in that bank. Um, so they just don't want okay. anyone to get the Sadokar bit off because that would tip the Landsrad right. uh, in so many ways that like, uh, you know, and I, I mean, ultimately that... Leto doesn't even didn't even believe that if you did get word off, like no one's going to believe right. you anyway. It's just going to create a headache and like a, a legal big uh, clusterfuck uh, in the lands rad for them going after it. But that is a good uh, a good stretch. I like uh, you're thinking for it. Of like at least now keeping in mind that the plan is off of Piter's tracks a little bit. The Baron is the one driving this cart now. Uh, but in my notes, I actually put Piter's plan turns the guilds itself against uh, the Atreides. Mm-hmm. I think that was a Piter bit through and through. But no, I- you're right. You're right. And the more I think about it um, after discussing it, I, I do agree with you. That makes way more sense. But I did think that it was like the Baron just adjusting on the okay. fly, which would have been pretty because like we didn't hear about this in the plan beforehand. Well, that's what so. I, was, I was just going to bring up of like for me, how terrifying is that now for like for an Atreides trooper? Mm-hmm. To be like, okay, you guys were even told beforehand. Like, we know they're coming in Harkin and Garb. We guys, we all are. We know, Two legions. Duh, we know that. Yeah. Uh, but then to be like, okay, now anyone in a Trades Garb might also be the Sadokar. Mm. Like, that is awful. Also, I got a, I got something here I realized while going through the glossary today. What's that? Um, I misspoke. I was going by Roman legions when I was talking numbers. As a Roman legion being 6,000 men. Okay. And so I thought 12,000 Sardaukar sounds pretty terrifying. yeah, yeah. Imperial Legion in the glossary is a little bit different in the future. Oh, you like it bigger or smaller? 30,000. Per legion? Per legion. Oh, okay. So 60,000 Sardaukar. It's an expensive raid. That, okay, that makes a lot more sense for like a planet raid. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's harsh. That's basically, oh, no. I, was like, I think my town is only 20,000 people. So that's like three of my whole town <laughs> rolling up. <laughs> Oh my lord! Yeah, so uh, perspective—that's. I mean, if one set of car is terrifying to us, sixty thousand, and they're all disguised. I mean, granted, I don't think they really are disguised. It's a (laughs) trading uniforms like ripping up like the biceps. The fat man in a little coat (laughs) kind of deal. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but uh, yeah, no, I uh, I read that and I was actually like, I it kind of blew me away. I was thinking way smaller. That's wild. I was thinking a thousand. I'm glad that or not thousand, like ten thousand. Always grows up. Oh my god, legion. It's ridiculous. That's awesome. Ah, well, if I if I may though, so we have um, we have our guards. We have our legions of Sadakar in the Atreides uniforms. I think that's all that shows up on the band as she's like kind of scrubbing. Yeah, Uh, because like you said, it gets muffled out when uh that guy politely hangs up the phone and goes back to what he's doing. He doesn't get his head chopped off (laughs) by Sadakar. And uh, Paul's kind of telling uh, Jessica like he expected this. And uh, she weighs his words. I expected it. What do you mean you expected it? (laughs) She's just wondering like what had happened to him. And uh, she slowly just sort of like returns to the instrument. I'm just like, not knowing what are you doing? Like your son is terrifying you at this moment. You're kind of like in a tent with a monster in a way. 
less than five minutes ago, he was hugging his knees next to her. Well, okay, so he... That is just the formula. I wouldn't take it as like a cute and adorable as Paul was in the beginning. Like this isn't like a mom. What's a gom jabar? I'm just saying though. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think uh, maybe it's to point out like uh, she still sees the same boy, but clearly it's not the same boy in right. the head and like what's going through his mind. Uh, oh, oh, poor Paul. And uh, as she, oh, the other thing that was on there is uh, she can hear the Harkonnens. Uh, she can't quite break their co- their battle language or their code. There's not speak. enough of it to. Yeah, she Go can't get enough them. pieces to like kind of uh, figure out what it is. But, but the tone. The tone, yeah. What's the tone? Victory! Uh, Harkonnen victory. Chuckling hey, up for the Harkonnens. Hey. They needed a win. And, <laughs> no, uh, they didn't. No. Oh, were they, Just Piter. Were they pretty good? <laughs> um, Paul, though, he, he checks the pack. He gives it a little shake. And we find out they have, a, they have two liters of water drawn. Mm. They're already full. So Paul, you presumably filled them up for him. And uh, he's telling her, like, well, look, we're going to have to leave by tonight if uh, Idaho's not able to make contact. Because it's possible that Idaho could get captured, right? So that's making. That's so if he's not back by dawn, we leave. I think it's. I think it's even early, early evening. Like we're leaving tonight. We're not gonna. They can't wait till dawn. You can't. You can't uh, travel during the day. They're gonna have to travel at night. And Paul's not willing to spend another night waiting for Idaho. Right. So yeah, we're gonna wait till some part. But uh oh, oh, I see. I yeah. See so dusk is all the point yeah. I make. Um, and uh. Yeah, they're gonna move on. But Paul, uh, he takes up the little cap and uh, he puts everything down on the on the ground, Mike. And I thought everything was pretty familiar to us. I would just love to uh, highlight this uh, tense entrance for a moment. The sphincter seal. The sphincter. I, I giggle every time yeah. I say Paul. Paul crouched near the sphincter, and I just go. <laughs> <laughs> I just read that. I was like, oh, what? But like, I can. It's sad. I can imagine what it looks like. It looks like a butthole, Mike. Yeah. Yes, it's it's a sphincter. It's it's a tent bound up to a little hole. <laughs> No, it's it. I I bet. I, you know what? I hope at least that Brian Herbert got a chuckle when he was a kid. And he read his dad's draft. He's like, he. Well, it's it's like our backpacks that like with the the top how you can like zip it closed. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's not that- and now I'm never gonna be able to look at that the same way again. So thank you for that. You're making way too much of it. No, I'm not. I can go replace it. I'm not the only one who stopped at the sentence. I guarantee you. you. Stop cold. (laughs) Yeah, excuse me? In the middle of your, like, mind-blowing revelation. (laughs) Immersion gone. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... Yeah, we have a, a little micro-manual with a glow tab. Yeah. Magnifier. Uh, uh, you know what? I feel like we've heard this manual before. Yeah, it, it was great. That's why I'm, I think we timely went through this. And we have the steel tent. We have energy caps. We have the recaps, which are the catheters. Mm-hmm. Sand snork. A little snorkel for your tent. Binoculars. Steel suit. Rep kip. Baradai pistol. Remember that? We're not yeah. going to need that, but I don't know why they <laughs> We got it. it. Yeah, so we can make a big dive spot on the ground if we need to. Sink chart. Filt plugs. Paracompass. Maker hooks and thumpers. A frim kit and of course a fire, fire pillar. pillar. Love it. We got some. We got some stuff we got to touch on with the fire pillar. Do you want to do that now or later? Uh, oh, I want to do that at the end. Okay. Uh, okay. It's gonna be. I don't got a deep dive because this is gonna be a big chapter for us, Mike. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a small mail dive to go into. Uh, we, we got a mailbag now, Mike. Oh, we got a mailbag. I thought you were like. Mail time? Like what? I, I realize after sphincter, that like mail back might get you on the wrong line. What? M A I L. But I'll hit that right at the end. So uh, Paul's mind. Paul's mind, like we were saying, is at this point it's so far ahead. Uh, I feel like for the rest of the book, we're just trying to catch up to where Paul is at this moment. Like mm-hmm. Paul's done. 
He's at the end of the book right now, uh, where he's just sort of run with it. Maybe, I think he's a couple books ahead. He's well, I guess he's at the end of book two. Uh, he's still got a little bit to learn, but like he's definitely far ahead of us. And I just feel like we're trying to figure out what he already knows. You think him. he's like reading, like he's got the book Doom Messiah in front of him. He's like, Mom, you're not going to believe this. He's just. I think he's sort of writing the sequel. Uh, he's like, oh, <laughs> he's oh, writing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, while living out the first one. Um, but now Paul's going to cut back in, and he's going to go back to the phrase I hate the most. My father spoke of desert power. <laughs> uh, which is stupid, but it is followed with this great line of like, the Harkonnens cannot rule this planet without it. They've never ruled this planet, nor shall they. Not even with 10,000 legions of Sadokar. So does that bring us to like a million factor at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Not even with a million Sadokar, Mike. That's ten, what 10. And consider Paul is saying that with the cold logic of the Mentat, of the of the Quisatatarak. That's not a lie. That's not an embellishment. That is cold, hard fact. I feel. I think that'd be the entire planet. No, not the entire planet. What? So I was just trying to think of how many Sardaukar that is. No, I mean, even the uh, Fremen population we have at like, isn't it like 2 million? Yeah, I think it's 3 million actually. Something like, something like yeah. it was just that one CH or yeah, they yeah. figured a couple CHs like that. So yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a global population. Um, but it, it would, it's it's a lot of Sadagar. <laughs> it would be be quite a few more. Uh, it's probably a whole highliner. Yeah. Oh no, that's three hundred. That's three hundred million. I think. I don't know. Math and wine don't really go together, Derek. It's all good. It's all good. I think it's three hundred million though. Okay, too far. Um, but uh, Jessica's just like Paul. You you can't think that. And he's just like, well, all the evidence in our hands. And I love how literal that is. So just like he's looking at the frem kit before him, and he's like, look at this stuff. How do you not see how the solder car? Okay, would fall? you know, I think I had this thought earlier. What's that? That like the fremen have such advanced technology, and it's so weird mm-hmm. they have this, and like no one asks the why or like where did you get like who made this? Where did you get the tech to make this or the money to make this? And I feel like this chapter answers a lot of those questions and doesn't just say like, oh, this is a possibility. This is Paul just saying this is a fact. Yeah. I mean, maybe not even a, well, actually, let me, I think all your questions that you say they don't ask are right. Exactly. Like they don't ask why they don't ask. Right. Why. But maybe also they're just not asking like a, to the, to what degree, like they see that frail man with a good steel suit of like, okay, so like they can all get together and they can make one steel suit together. I can buy that, you know? But it's like, no, no, they have a factory where they can make thousands of these on hand at any moment. They're producing all of this material out in the desert, not in any of these cities, quote unquote. They're doing this uh, freehand. And uh, Paul brings up the next big point here. Uh, uh, yeah, because after pointing to the tent itself, the contents, and he knows the guild wants a pre- uh, prohibitive price for their satellites, Mike. Yeah. So this has been another mystery. Weather satellites. Yeah. Uh-huh. And now, okay, I think I was on the right track initially with this in that it's not that they uh, couldn't do it. No, wait. Well, no, you, you definitely no. did at one point. So oh, yeah, I did, I did say that earlier. You're like, the, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they can. Maybe they can. <laughs> well, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I did say that. Yeah, kind of in jest. But, but then later on, I think it was at the, around the dinner, I suggested that maybe the emperor was paying them. So that they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But I, I was right that someone was paying them off so that it didn't happen. But yep. I was wrong about who. Wrong about who. Who was doing it? You never thought the Fremen would I never do thought it. the Fremen. And I never, I guess I never really give them enough credit. Like, how much money do they really have when they have direct access to the spice? Correct. Yeah. Direct, unlimited, unfettered. Because you want, need spice in order to do what they do. 
uh, the Bene Gesserit, well, the space. Okay, Gale. everyone, I like, guess. Uh, yeah, it's like, literally it's more, it's more than that. Yeah, yeah. But so, oh my god, I think puts... think of where that puts the Fremen in a position. So, Mike, they're not only selling to the guild, like the smugglers, right? That that's whole... why the smugglers were there. That's exactly what oh! the smugglers. So, the smugglers' niche, where they fit into this whole ecosystem, is that they're not only like getting their buck and you know shaving corner. They work for the guild. They are the uh, remember how. Uh, Leto kept telling, like, the Emperor knows they're smugglers. Everyone knows they're smugglers, Mike, but we let it happen. Why would we let it happen? Right. We have all these Sonicar available. Like, we can just stop. No. It's because there are all these forces at hand that, like, yeah, it has to happen. So we need some spice to be not taxed by calm. It needs to be off the books. We need to be able to just keep this in little hordes here and there that no one knows about. Um, oh, my God. So you think of which is where the smugglers and the Fremen fit in and that they actually have their own niche in like the galactic economy. The wow. Fremen, the Fremen especially. Wow. And I mean, no one sees it in the book so far, except for Paul's now seen it like, oh, OK. Yep. Um, but oh, man. Wow. Now, uh, that's why Kynes and Tuark were just like on the same page. Like, yeah, no. That's why Tuik took his work, took every instruction from Kynes. Right. Looked to Kynes. Kynes acts first. Tuick reacts. Oh, Tuick, my gosh. Tuick is a, he's a second-rate man. He, Dude, Kynes, I need to know more about Kynes right now. Dr. Kynes. Can you be frank with me? Is his name Liet? Is he the mysterious god? Uh, I mean, we've hammered it down, but I will let the book uh, tell you what his name is when we get there. <sighs> Uh, for everything. Oh my god! It, it's got it's got a good backstory to it that's like worth it when it shows up. Oh, uh, so you hit it a little. But it, I mean, for all intents, where he is who we need him to be. You're okay. right at the dinner. That he's he's the guy in power. Yeah, and kind, same kind of guy. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but I'm just not gonna fully commit to telling you his name yet. Till like the book lets us like, because again, it, it needs that little reveal. Needs okay. Because we're gonna meet Papa Kinds. Papa Kinds. Oh, Pardot. Pardot. Yeah. Pa- Wait, he's still alive? No, no, no. But oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the same way we met on Muerte, Mike. <laughs> he's going to be on a wall? <laughs> yeah, the, he's head mounted in a CS. But shriveled because I need the moisture. Yeah, we took that wall. Oh, God, it's just like a headhunter. Like, like, it's a cross from a leader, John. Oh, no. Um, okay, but so weather satellites. Yeah, you're right. So it's the guild. The guild oh. is the one uh, pulling them off. And uh, it's specifically that we don't do that so that people can't watch. Because like, oh, watch we, what's we keep... going on in the deep desert. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think that means? The Fremen are doing something in the deep desert. Yeah, or or something's happening that they don't want the Fremen to let other people see, see. or that the Fremen don't want other people to see. Yes, yeah, a little bit, but all those things, yeah, are true. And uh, that, so, it, oh, does it have to do with spice? So that's what I was gonna say. Like, it's not spice harvesting. That's not what they're worried about people seeing. Right, because everyone knows that it happens and they have sure. access to it already. But, like, there so are only it? myths and rumors of those deep latitudes. No one goes down there. No one can see what happens. No one can see. Presumably, the guild has an idea. But oh, like, yeah, because they can see. Right, but, like, they're getting and paid I'm, off. I, bet, I bet they would be like, okay, what don't you want people to see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would definitely be like, yeah. Uh, that's, that's part some, of the price. I, I think it's the cost of doing business. Yeah. When they'd be like, "Hey, don't look here." I guess you're gonna look here now. But um, we should. Uh, we're gonna learn a little bit more of the guild as we go. The guild, like I've told you, they're kind of pressing and stuff. Like, uh, right. they do kind of what Paul does. So the, what Paul's describing in this chapter is kind of what the guild does. And yeah, there's a there's even a little bit about it here. Yeah, we'll uh, yeah. Paul's gonna say he can he can kind of see that. Um, so 
that is also, I think, one of the ways maybe they would see what's going on. Kind okay. Of like, kind of having okay. that, like, future sense uh, aspect to him. Um, but, yeah, so Paul, he gets he has to get Jessica caught up to this. And she's like, you're suggesting the guild itself controls this planet? And he's just like, God, she's so, so slow. And no, he said, the Fremen, they're paying the guild for privacy. Paying in a coin that's freely available to anyone with desert power. I hate you so much, Paul. Spice. <laughs> uh, and then the, the we get the great uh, Mentat finish to this. This is more than a second approximation answer. This is straight line computation. Depend on it. <laughs> like, ooh, little, little teenage angst there. <laughs> That's the Atreides guarantee. <laughs> and, uh, it's like a car, a car salesman almost. I like Jessica comes back. I'm like, Paul, you're not a Mentat yet. You can't know for sure. And he's like, I'll never be a Mentat. I'm something else, a freak. And, uh, you know, he tells her, he's just trying to tell her to leave alone. Like, he's trying to get into his own headspace at this point. And he turns away from her. I I love this, too, though, because it's not a matter of, like, my training's, like, not complete. Like, if I finish my training, I'll be a mentat. No, he's got so much more going on. Yeah, it's it can't it can't ever be a mentat. Yeah, like what a simple sweet life that would be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, theater figure, you think you're tired? <laughs> yeah, it's he knows there's like and I like that he uh, he can't quite put it on. He knows he's he also feels like he's not the Quisatatarak either. Like he's something like fully different in a ways. He's bouncing all over the place this chapter. I think that's the thing. Like he is all these things and more. Mm-hmm. So you can't really call it like uh, he could do everything Thufir does, but Thufir cannot do a fraction of what Paul can do pretty oh, much. You know what? That, um, oh, this kind of reminds me of um, with the great mother being all those things together and sort of like indivisible. Like that's like Paul's abilities. Like mm-hmm. it's meant at Benny Gesserit and like himself all at the same time and never separately. I, I, I just think of, uh, you know, the uh, in geometry with rectangles and squares. Like a, like a uh, square. No, like a oh. square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's yeah, how I feel way. about like Paul right now in relation to like uh, like a Benny Gesserit in relation to a Mentat in relation to I don't know what else we got on a CV. Uh, I mean, we, we usually teeter out after those two. Uh, <laughs> Swordmaster. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. like uh, um, weapons. I mean, yeah, I guess a fighter. Yeah, yeah, I know. His fighting skills are top notch. We don't ever, we, we, not since the first chapter or the third chapter when he did his little tr- fourth now. I keep screaming. Number four. <laughs> when he did that training episode, we haven't gone back and seen him in a combat yeah. situation. I really want to know what this looks like in, uh, in the video for like the, the David Lynch one and even the upcoming one would be really cool. I want to know what it's like with, uh, like what a shield looks like yeah, in combat. Shield. Shield's going to be cool, but uh, shields are for cowards, Mike. They attract worms. Yeah. We don't, we don't need no stinking shields. Oh, yeah. So at this point, Paul, he's going to turn away. He just wants to kind of be able to mourn. Uh, but he feels like he's never going to be able to. So he, he still can't get emotional flow. Uh, that's so time. sad. Yeah. And each time he's going to turn away, that's all he's going to check on. Pretty much. It's just like, do I have emotions yet? And like, nope, still a computer, still running all the data through. Yeah. And Jessica, she wants nothing more than to like comfort and hold Paul in that moment and kind of just like scoop him up, which is exactly how she felt in that scene when I, uh, she was with Yui. In the side room looking well, in. Here's the thing. It's not emotion. It's grief specifically. His mind isn't giving him the time to grieve because it's not time yet. He still has other things to think about and process. Because he feels anger here for a moment. Like, leave me alone. I mean, he speaks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I don't. I mean, I, I still think it's emotion. 
Are you saying like he's not feeling it then? What no. do you mean? He is no I'm saying he is feeling emotion. You just said that like he's not being able to feel emotion. He feel I feel like this is anger here. I'll never be a mentat. I'm something else, a freak. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I can I'm say sorry. such. Leave me alone. Exclamation point. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, I get what you're saying with the grief. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think it's specifically the grief, and it, I think that relates back to that Gurney Halleck quote. It's like there's a time for it. It's not now. And it's, yeah, you, you can't have that. You can't yeah. entertain that mood right now, or you have to choose it for when you want it. But uh, I mean, like he he is stressed. He's scared and confused because he doesn't know if he will be able to ever feel that grief for his father for sure. Mm. But I think it's specifically related to grief right there, not emotion as a whole. I think I think you're right. And uh, so from here, I think Jessica kind of not knowing what to do. She just sort of like reaches down for the manual. It's sort of like, oh, look at this <laughs> book. <laughs> it closed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's this on the tent floor. She lifts it. She glances at the fly leaf and it reads manual of the friendly desert. <laughs> the friendly desert. The place full of life. Here the ayat and buran of life. Believe, and a lot shall never burn you. Oh, a lot? What's that mean? I mean, there were a bunch of words in there. Ayat, Burhan, and a lot. Uh, all of our other glossary words galore, if you will. Whoa. But uh, yeah, a lot shall never burn you. So good. So that is uh, the original sun yeah. and the colloquial sun in any star system. That, isn't uh, that, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's great. I, so when I did that uh, control F from that first time from a lot, I saw that pop up. Oh, did you? Like, yeah, oh, nice. Perfect. Nice. Uh, right when we're going through that book. And uh, just, I like to imagine the manual of Friendly mm-hmm. Desert has like a little clippy uh, icon next to it. It's a, it's a sandworm, though. Yeah, it's a little sandworm. Oh, smile, smiling sandworm. <laughs> what does a smiling sandworm look like? Like a Cheshire grin. Like, yeah. That's how, actually, that looks terrifying in my mind. Teethy flaps open. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty diabolical. Uh, and Jessica just thinks uh, how much this reads like the Azar book. So that book in the Bene Gesserit training that keeps all their religious incantations, so mm. to speak. Uh, just how similar it is. And she thinks like, hmm. Was this done by Missionary Protectiva? Which is sort of like, uh, don't you already know that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I think you've had this thought several times. Pretty sure you were told. Why are you surprised? You were told this yeah. right before you got here. Um, yeah, one of those little bits. And, so, uh, oh, there's uh, illustrated constellations on here. That's really cool. Yeah, and she's uh, looking through them. Um, she kind of, she ends up looking down at it in a second. Uh, so Paul... Uh, so he's calms down a little bit and he ends up picking up and he kind of plays with the paracompass, uh, which I love because remember how that works. Oh, it's, it's a like, relative like uh, magnetism, right? Yeah. So it's like local magnetic anomalies. Right, right, right. So I wonder if he's checking it just to like where they are now. I'm mm. like, hmm, okay, this is where we're going to go because they're planning on leaving tonight. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, he looks at the map once. He looks at the compass. Be like, all right, I know where we are. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, for him to do it briefly means so like it mean anything. Like, yeah. He could have cataloged their entire journey. Uh, I don't know. Um but he, he brings up the sophistication that these devices show of the Fremen, uh, which I think is great. And it's sort of underlining that previous thought we kind of had. And uh, Jessica, she's still worried about the harshness in his voice, but she sort of just keeps looking at this book of constellations mm-hmm. that's opened up. And her mind is, uh, or her eyes rather, are sort of stuck on one. And it's uh, Moadib, the mouse. The tail points north. Okay, this this honestly got me because you never mentioned this before. What's that? That the, the uh, tail, the point of the oh, tail, the tail on the Moody Moon points yeah. north. No, no, no. Uh, this is a constellation in the stars. Oh, is it? it so, like, Moadib's everywhere, Mike. Uh, not only is he on the moon, the mouse <clears throat> is on the moon, but this is actually a constellation in the sky, and the tail is the North Star. Okay. 
That, okay, gotcha. Got it. And then you can use it to always point north. So I believe uh, for us, like, we have it's the, our, the Big it's Dipper. Our, yeah, yeah, it's the Ursa Major. Yep. And uh, so that's going to be what the Moadib is. Uh, and it's sort of like they refer to it as the one who points the way, uh, which I like it. I think and it wasn't uh, one of the Lisan al Gaib things kind of like that. Is it the one who showed the way or something? Uh, or did Lisan, we, or am no, I just no, no, thinking no. of kind saying shortening of the way? Short, you're thinking shortening, shortening of the way. And just mixing those two up. With Kwisah Chaturak. Man, so oh, we got to get all these names together and just have one really long title. <laughs> He who shows the short way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to say it. All Atreides, friend, wall hacker. In our friend and voice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he'll be a shout out one day. You know? Maybe. <laughs> um, so, Matador. Because <laughs> oh. instead of bulls, it's worms. <gasps> That'd be great. I don't think it's possible. I think he's going down. <laughs> just fall into a hole. It's, yeah. a real, it's really anticlimactic. I don't know. Lose. With Paul's abilities, maybe he could do something cool. Maybe until he fights the prescient worm. Wait, what? One to one. <laughs> I don't think there is one. <laughs> Prescient worm. Yeah. That'd be horrifying. Be strange. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, I think if there was a prescient worm, people would be eaten before they even landed. I, I guess, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. <laughs> the instant worm. <laughs> Harvester comes down for a landing. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be a really terrible story to tell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this book's so boring. <laughs> People just keep getting eaten. Um, so from here, we have, uh, I told you, we're going to get Leto's last words. Mm-hmm. Paul's going to now relay them to his mother. So she's sort of looking at this thing. I told you he calmed down a little bit when he looked at that pair of compass. Right. And he, that uh, he's doing this because she has time for grief. Mm-hmm. And grief later would inconvenience them. Yeah. and he found, So this is logic that he's still using. This is, and he found himself shocked by precise logic. Precise yeah. logic. Oh, is that the I other told, instance? Yeah. Uh, I got it for you. I got your back. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting that it's right after that grief. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's a slap in the face for how much he wants to feel that grief. Yeah. Just to be like, God, it's not my time, but it's like, it's your time. So mother, he said, and uh, she heard the change in his voice, felt coldness in her entrails at the sound. Oh. Never had she heard such harsh control. And uh, he's able to tell her just like, you know, Leto's dead. And she accepts this as confirmation in sort of like the Bene Gesserit way. This is, like, this is that letter. It's the little letter I wrote. Yeah, yeah. This one's a <laughs> little more concise. Uh, it doesn't have the manic uh, factory paragraph in the middle. <laughs> but you, you want to give this one in your Leto voice? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do the Leto voice. It's not a... It's not in Leto's voice, is it? Oh, I mean, it should be, Mike. Oh. It's his last words. I want you to say it as uh, as Paul was told it. Oh, as that, Paul That's what I was hoping you'd oh, be willing to slip I in. I see. And give a little, uh, they must take the life of my son. <laughs> you think he just adds that in there a little bit? Oh, I, I, I think you have to, to get oh. into the, uh, <laughs> they tried to take the life of my son. Oh, boy. Where should I start this? I don't know. It's actually hard to read in his voice. It's um, really hard to read in his voice. <laughs> I really set you up for that one, but I we can just read it in Paul's voice. So yeah, no, he says, uh, "Oh, this is so sad. this is so weird too." My father charged me once. It was two days ago. It was like two or three days ago. Yeah, yeah. Paul's about a, a hard day. <laughs> <laughs> My father charged me once. Paul said to give you a message if anything happened to him. He feared you might believe he distrusted you. He wanted you to know he never suspected you. He wanted you to know he always trusted you completely, always loved you, and cherished you. He said he would sooner have mistrusted himself, and he had but one regret, that he never made you his duchess. Oh, oh that's 
that and that cuts right to her. She just starts crying right away. Yeah. And uh, the and first thinks, she's yeah. going through the same thing I did with Piter. She's going through those stages. Kind of. But I mean, her first thought is what a waste of water. Yeah, but no, so. but she recognizes that thought is her just like trying to uh, deflect it into anger. Her grief into yeah. anger. Yeah. I she did. recognizes that. And mm-hmm. then she just she accepts the grief for what it is. I, I put it as uh, instantaneous grief counseling. Yeah. I like that the Bene Gesserit um, just have that internally. She did it so much faster than I did. <laughs> you know what? She's got a lot more going on. Yeah, like, she does. She can exercise her muscles a little mentally. <laughs> like, don't don't put yourself to that standard. Like, that's, <laughs> that's an impossible one to reach. Tighter was hard. I'm not going to lie. I'm sure. I'm sure. So, um, well, sobs are just like shaking her. Uh, Paul, again, has to just confront that lack of emotion in himself at this time. And uh, Jessica keeps going. Uh, I think she busts out this sort of Bible quote of a time to get and a time to lose, quoting uh, to herself from the OC Bible. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time for love and a time for hate. A time for war and a time for peace. All those dualities. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, then we go to Paul's kind of point of view. And I, I think it's interesting that we go from that line in particular, like that Bible verse, into Paul's like prescience. Because uh, it's, you know, it's sort of lyrical in how it's set up. And then Paul's mind, it's gone on and it's chilling precision. 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 There's three times, Mike. Yeah. You counted twice. What are you doing? What like, kind of game whoa, are you playing I'm here? I'm just saying that it shows up. <laughs> it's going to be our, our mantra for this one. And we get a, he saw the avenues of head ahead of them on this hostile planet. Without even the safety valve of dreaming, he focused his prescient awareness, seeing it as a computation of most probable futures, but with something more, an edge of mystery, as, as though his mind dipped into some timeless stratum and sampled the winds of the future. That's something. Whoa. Right? And then uh, <clears throat> it just keeps ramping up. And I don't know how else to kind of do this and give you, like, the exact words for it. Um, and I think, is this the one that I read you last week? Uh, abruptly, as though we had found the necessary key, Paul's mind climbed another notch in awareness. I can't remember, no, actually. Okay. I, I had two. I don't remember which one I had going with. But uh, he felt himself clinging to this new level, clutching at a precarious hold and peering about it. It was as though he existed within a globe of avenues radiating away in all directions. Yet this only approximated the sensation. So that's going to be what Paul's prescience is like from here on out, where he's sort of just in this, like, um, other world, so to speak. Um, It happens instantaneously. Like, he's still physically here. Right. But he's always describing it as sort of like looking over um, a sort of... uh, moving landscape something that's so drift i always all these paths and options that he can see mm-hmm. and he uses this uh, cool this gauze kerchief blowing in the wind as an example for it mm-hmm. and like i mean i just think uh for me and maybe for you too like uh imagining like the fabric of space time is not like a really crazy thing i can do it pretty easily i've mm-hmm. seen it done in so many like documentaries and bits where they right, love right, to right. show you like the depression of a planet in the fabric of space time and i feel like that's what he's looking at and just mm-hmm. seeing those depressions and whatnot but in here, it's like expressed as the possibilities within time itself. There's a. Uh, uh, I told you I play Magic the Gathering, right? Yeah. There's a there's a magic card that made me think of this for the artwork, and mm-hmm. I can't remember the artist off the top of my head. I'll uh, I'll probably post on Instagram and like uh, give credit to him and obviously the company. <laughs> I don't want to be sued. Yeah, that's probably for the best. <laughs> what, what card was it? It's called Omniscience, and it's a card that people always hate because it's really dumb and awesome. But uh. It's got this amazing artwork of this man basically walking through this misty landscape and all these paths sort of like surrounding in every direction, crisscrossing Ooh, yeah, all over the place. 
That's really cool. So that is like... It's like, it's not a dome, but I imagine it's kind of a similar aspect. No, no, yeah. So kind of replacing the dome, uh, this guy is standing at a platform and it's more like the clouds parting are showing you the various options. Right. And like that uh, op- opaqueness is what obstructs your view and whatnot. Then sort of like this undulating landscape that Paul's describing, but like seeing uh, there are these sort of like lit paths sweeping out from him and these uh, kind of tentacly like paths. Illustrated patterns. by Jason Chan. Jason Chan, hey, great artwork. Uh, but I, I think the parallel is uncanny of yeah. like what we're trying to describe and what that it looks like. Uh, and then we actually get an idea of what Paul is, what he sees. He tells us like he saw people. He felt heat and cold of uncounted probabilities. He knew names and places, experienced emotions without number. He finally got one. Gets an emotion. <laughs> Maybe grief. Reviewed data of... Are they his own experiences and emotions, though? Ooh. I think so. I think this is all from all his, his pers- perspective. Yeah, I think it's all his perspective because he's able to see like uh, his own kind of death in some avenues. This is so exciting and terrifying in a way for you or for Paul. I mean, for I guess both, maybe. Yeah. But okay, so I think my first thought was Quizach Hotterock in the beginning of this chapter. I don't necessarily think that's true, though, or it's true to maybe a half truth. Or like we said before, Kwisatch Haderach and more. And more, yeah. Because Kwisatch Haderach should be able to look into his past. I think you need a drug for that, though, right? So that's like um, one of the qualifiers is we're not there yet for like how you would make a Kwisatch Haderach. Yeah, there is another test you would have to do. But it seems like he's able to do these things with his own future, though, mm-hmm. and see every possibility his future could hold to a, to a certain threshold. Yeah, yeah. Un- uncounted at yeah. the very least. Before sure. it gets to an extreme of like, there's too many to count. Like, we'll, we'll but cross that bridge what, when we get Paul there. What Paul is going to say, and he will say this, is that uh, he came early. Like, he isn't supposed to be here yet. And the Bene Gesserit don't know he's here yet. So he is the Kwisatch Haderach. But, it, but, also, but I'm saying also something different. Like, right. him being here early matters. Like, that is something where it's off plan. We're not on script right now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all gone a little uh, different, a little weird. So I, I just uh, it is and it isn't all at the same time. But like, uh, yeah, he doesn't have access, uh, as I've kind of told you, like he's not full on Reverend Mother Powers. He can't see into his past. Right. He doesn't have like that complete control right. just yet. Um, I think that's part of what's influencing his like future sight and stuff. But or like right. these past lives. But it's interesting, too, because he can make assessments and see things in the past based off what he's seen and been told in the future. So in a way, he has access to like uh, secrets and parts, little pieces of history based off of what he'll be told or learn in the future. I like it. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Which is almost paradoxical. We've, we've been flipping a lot. Of, like all the quotes were kind of flipped around a little yeah. bit. Like, yeah, it's sort of like they're flipping over the Reverend Mother. Where like she can look into the past. He can look into his future. Exactly. He's yeah. almost like he's the anti-Kwisatch Haderach, the dark Kwisatch Haderach. <laughs> so whereas they can only look back and only see one possibility, what did happen. He can look into the future and see only infinite infinite possibilities. possibilities. Never know what will happen. I'm surprised this kid didn't vomit in this tent, to be honest. Might have edited that one. He, you know, he controls the histories in the future a little bit, Mike. (laughs) He's like, we don't talk about that one here, (laughs) Roland. We decided not to go down that road. Scrub that from the records. (laughs) Um, But let me keep going just with this uh, last point here, uh, where it's there. uh, There was time to probe and test and taste, but no time to shape. I think that's just interesting. Does that mean there's the possibility of shaping it? 
No, or just in this instant, there was no. No, time. this. So this is in him looking at that uh, infinite views and stuff, specifically in that first. So he can see things, he but he has. can't interact with them. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just there's no time to shape. It's gotcha. weird. Like I, I don't even know what fully to make. It's very poetic in its mm-hmm. use there. Like yeah, I think you got to kind of interpret what you think that means. And uh, the thing was a spectrum of possibilities from the mo- re- from the most remote past to the most remote future. Okay, so we can see his past then. Uh, from the most probable to the most improbable. He saw his own death in countless ways. He saw new planets, new cultures, people, people. He saw them in such swarms they could not be listed, yet his mind cataloged them, even the guildsmen. He can see all the guildsmen. He can see... He can, or sort of. Some of the guildsmen. The guildsmen, we're going to learn, uh, I think, more so in the next book, Doom Messiah. Oh, is, um, okay. He can see where they've been, but they can't watch each other actively. Uh, oh, yeah, you mentioned that, like people of prescience can't really see each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's exactly in that we were talking about prescient kind of thing before. So, like, uh, there's a point where, like, a guildsman can see where Paul's been in, like, the swath of, like, as you're walking around this kind of, like, mystical world, so to mm-hmm. speak. And Paul can see everywhere they're going and have been. Because uh, you, 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 like, leave a path as you're looking at this stuff that someone mm-hmm. could interrupt. Uh, it's really cool. Now... Bringing up the guildsmen. Uh, Wait, interesting yeah, yeah. question. So, the guild. Okay, the guild can only go so far within this galaxy, or that we've established. We've inhabited every planet that's poss- that can possibly be inhabited, and gone as far as we can right now, currently. But he's saying there's new planets. Well, no, we uh, we're we know we're multiple galaxies. No, we never did establish that. Um, I thought we did when we got to uh. One bit of the timeline. Anyway, but just go with your question, I guess. Let me see where you're going with this. Well, my my question is, are does that mean that we're getting looking at futures where the guild can go further than before? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That was that was my question, really. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I we established that. I, I guess I would say like uh, even at this time we're not done. Like oh, okay. we never reached the end. But think of how big like the uh, the perimeter of our empire is at this point. I guess, like, it it gets, di- yeah, it's very it's a very large diameter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In how whatever ungodly shape it actually is in <laughs> when you look at it in like that kind of a form. Um, so like we are still expanding, and there is still more to be expanded to. Um, yeah, the the universe even in this one it, it is infinite in every respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so like right, we can even ignore are we bound to like one galaxy or not? Like just ignore that altogether. Like okay. there's going to be more to go on to. Okay. Um, even if it's in that kind of area. So uh, let's talk about the guild for a second here. Yeah. So because Paul he's got so many secrets are unlocked for him now, and this is one of the big ones that he's just sort of able to throw in your face. And I guess this is one of those uppercuts Frank gave you in the yeah. Alleyway. Oh yeah, it hurt. Like, it hurt. I still feel it, Derek. Paul says like he knows he could be accepted by the guild, both as familiar and valuable because they have similar capabilities. Mm-hmm. They can see see the future and sort of grasp through it and find like the avenue of possibility. And they're both dependent on spice. Yeah. So has Paul ever had spice before? I guess. Technically, by being on Arrakis, yes, but on Caladan, had he ever had any experience with Spice? No, it must have not been any more. Whatever the nobility get for their basic, because that extends everybody's lives a little bit. So right. it's like a little bit of Spice. It's enough that it d- never dies your eyes. It's never addictive. You just take it and you get the additive benefits. But I think since coming to here, it does seem like since it's been in every meal and everything, that was it's enough of an uptick to cause this in him. 
I think maybe it's more addictive than people realize then that like even just a little bit of it being in your system is enough to need it. Maybe sure. not immediately. No, yeah, you're right. And that's uh, Jessica reiterates that for us because she says her body knew it before her mind did. Right. That the stuff was going to be addictive and that I'm stuck here. I'm trapped right. here. I'm already like hooked on this spice. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I think I got to give it to you in that uh, the book did not do a good job conveying the escalation of their intake in spice. Mm-hmm. Like it's never mentioned. So it's like, what was, yeah, where is that moment? Where, right. Because like, it, it feels like I it's supposed to be an epiphany, but like it doesn't really like. Yeah. Because like we haven't, we have, we only at the dinner, we said there was no spice. And that was kind of the only time we brought no, up spice. No, no, no the, the, the Caladan recipe. Yeah. They, they emphasize there's no spice. Yeah, in that's food. right. That's right. But that's sort of like all we've been told is that one meal that didn't have it. It didn't say like the other stuff was overloaded with right, it. Or right. um, we didn't really even get like Paul's first taste of spice, did we? Dun- no, no, he hasn't. Yeah, who knows? No. Somewhere. Duncan, uh, Duncan's done. He was heavy in the spice beer. He's Duncan's, addicted for life now. I, I, he's been out with the Fremen. He might have hit some straight spice at some point. You think uh, so? Yeah, yeah. Doing lines of spice on the sea edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have some wild nights on Thursdays. <laughs> No, they uh, listen to our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the perfect day for it. Um, Paul, though, I think uh, you used this uh, description of the mind groping ahead uh, through possible futures. So he has this all like uh, hyphen together mm-hmm. of like his sort of uh, diminutive for describing the guild. And uh, yeah, guiding hurtling spaceships appalled him. Uh, so I love that too. There is no path. Like there's not like chart a course and then like you go through the course autopilot style. These these highliners could crash at any moment if these navigators like screw up. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's uh that that like high. I mean, you think of how far apart the stars are, Mike. You got you got plenty of time to maneuver that vessel. But yeah, you are like <laughs> you're cruising through, and the consequences are big, but they're so few. We kind of talked about that when we mentioned the guild. There's right. like two or three like uh, incidents where something happened, but otherwise right. they, they have like a flawless record. Um, but I think what really appalls or yeah, what appalls Paul about this is how, uh, how boring it is, how predictable it is. Like it's all you're doing and you just do that over and over and you're just like walking in circles. Yeah. On like a big universal scale, but that's still all you're doing is walking in circles. But it is a way. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like that is a possible future in which they could get off of here. Cause the guild would accept them. Yeah, and in meeting the possible futures that contained guildsmen, he recognized his own strangeness. Because, yeah, even among the guildsmen, he would probably be like, what is this kid? They'd be like, who are, like, what are you? Like, how are you doing this? Um, No, no, I mean, Paul would be like, he'd be normal as fuck. You think so? Yeah, yeah, the guildsmen are weird. Really? Yeah, they're, um... Uh, I guess, I guess, uh, a stranger odd in the guildsmen's eyes and the fact that, like, they, uh, the guild, you said the guildsmen's, guildsmen have to be in a floating tank of spice yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Paul probably doesn't need to do that. Exactly. Yeah. So they'd be Ooh. like, you're a little weird. Yeah, uh, he might. You think you have to do that? I don't, I don't think I've ever had it explained to me, like, how their, like, change happens. It just is like their, their front kind of like. Yeah, because they're mutated, right? Yeah, yeah, they're groomed for that position. So it happens during their lifetime, I think. Hmm. Uh, I don't think they're like a separate, like, I don't think they have offspring that are like them. Maybe they do. But none. I, so I, I think if it is in their lifetime, I guess Paul would go through that change. There's, there's uh, no chapter in the Dune Encyclopedia about guildsmen mating habits. <laughs> Might be in the Gamont subsection. <laughs> uh, I'll have to dig into it. Oh, God. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, I think I think Paul will, it would be pretty normal for him compared to how his life is right now. Right. Of like, I'm never going to fit in. He could find some uh, some friends in the guildsmen, but that's not a path that he sees for himself. 
But uh, okay, I love this too. I have another kind of sight. I see another kind of terrain. The available paths, and we, we've been using that term a lot now. Mm. I've mainly just been using it because of this sentence. Yeah, yeah, because that line. And he can see possible futures that are available. Mm-hmm. Both reassuring and alarming. Yeah, and like and also so many of them just dip out of sight too. So even if it looks pretty good, he can't see to the end. Right, because I mean, there's only so far you can look. Yeah, and then uh, enough variables come into play. The words What's, you choose and he such. says he can uh, confidently look up what about a year ahead. Is that what he says? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. insane. Isn't that, I like how they give you that one little thing to be like, oh, just if you want to know roughly about a year. I'm like, that's a long. Time. That's a long time, and he can see every possibility or most possibilities to pretty minute detail. If we're going that's down to like terrifying. to a choice word, yeah, no to wonder a choice this word kid's at having, a given moment. This guy's having an existential crisis. In space of a heartbeat yeah okay and that's we'll get to that i think we're still quite a ways away before he like pops back into reality here um but it's like uh as swiftly as it had come the sensation slipped away from him and he realized the entire experience had taken the space of a heartbeat that's paul returns to night in the steel tent so yeah um and i'm like i don't even know where that kind of started for us when we took this little detour uh so after he told jessica about the father that's that's all that's passed while we've been on this little when you think about like we don't know what his heartbeat is currently but if you think about bpm this could have taken place in less than a second certainly less than i think i mean i don't know what his heartbeat's like i guess he is a little bit uh i think he's a little worked worked up up. yeah yeah yeah. it's just gonna think like uh blood's gotta be flowing to get those juices going you know (laughs) get those mental muscles but uh that's wild that's absolutely wild. It's going to be Paul going forward. And uh, I think that, I mean, one, it just works out so well for Frank's writing style. We're like dipping into someone's head. Always the time dilation is so great because he's like, yeah, you get to expand on a whole thought and then come back into like, yeah, no time has passed, though. So keep running, keep running. And um, we he can still he can feel uh, Jessica's grief and the lack of his own still. Wouldn't that be such a slap in the face if the rest of the book was just another heartbeat? It's. Oh, Mike, <laughs> you're going to get mad at some point. What? Frank is going to have a number of um, leaps ahead, in, so to speak, uh, in the future. So you're never going to lose out on any big moments or something like that. But it will be like four chapters are going to go through and like an hour is going to pass. And then two years go by and then you just jump ahead. And you're like, what? Happened? What? <laughs> uh, yeah. And then we quickly recap and we keep running. It's like, I saw this feature, so I chose it. And here we are. <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> like, what? Yeah. And he's Wait, like, really? But we got more important things. But there's always something else to do. Like, we're always going somewhere. There is a reason for it, but it. Oh, my gosh. You, you'll, you'll get the feel for it. And it will uh, also accelerates the pace a little bit, too. But. There's a lot of uh, threshold. Paul, he's growing up before our eyes, Mike. We got a lot to knock out. Oh, my God. Space of a heartbeat. <laughs> That's so wild. And uh, it's like I said that uh, he could still he, his grief. He can feel those Jessica's. His isn't there. The hollow place somewhere separated from his mind, which went on in its, ste- in its steady pace, dealing with data, evaluating, computing, submitting answers in something like the Mentat way. Again, something, something like. like. Yeah. Always a, a mentat, qualifier yeah. there. And uh, so he's also realizing that right now he has a wealth of data that few minds ever had. I don't think any minds have ever had this. Some have. So when. What? When. Um, we well, go, the, the Ixians made a uh, like a. The Benny Tlaxlu. The Benny Tlaxlu made like a. Uh, Insta Kwisach Haderach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little shake. <laughs> yeah. Shake and bake. Uncle Ben's five minute Kwisach Haderach. Yeah. And. Uh, he probably had access to that and was just like, nope. Yeah, he would have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he instantly, he destroyed himself. Do you he, think he saw Paul then? No, no. He saw what the Benetelexu were going to do with him. Oh, 
then he saw i have a five second avenue i'm gonna take that yeah and he's like i'll just i'm out of here uh it's it's really it's a little like almost like a parable we're gonna learn quickly in the second book um we there's no other depth to it so we, we don't know we're never gonna get to talk to that quizot Tadarak or know what was going in his head right the ben intellectual it's just there to tell you like look we made one he saw what we were gonna do and he destroyed himself it's like didn't work make of that what you know like that's what happens when one knows right. everything like make of that what you will you think they tried again but like same thing happened no, no, but I think more importantly, that is uh, Frank Herbert sending a message of like mm. of leadership and like if you oh. had a leader with. So this is presumably someone with all the answers who can see every avenue of possibility right. and they destroy themselves instantly. That is their reaction to seeing all that. Mm. That's an interesting. Why like, do you think uh, Paul satire. doesn't do that? Paul can't see everything. Oh, Paul. Paul's because he. Paul's not the quiz on Tadarak He yet. came early. He's something else. Yeah, we got to do this little test that I can't... You so know. do you... Oh, my God. So do you think the Benny Gesserit, like, entire plan and line would have failed if it had come to completion? No. Are you using the Benny Tlaxo example as the only one? I, I guess, as they, reference. They have a little bit of a twisted motivation that he was going to be kind of at their mercy, to so to speak. Okay. The Bene Gesserit... So it has to do with the environment, too, in this particular yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all the variables probably have to be considered. Uh, the Bene Gesserit, I would give them the benefit of the doubt that if they got it right, that their plan would work. Okay. Uh, uh, from what I've... Oh, but I, what I wanted to tell you um, with that, of like, yes, there was a Bene Tlaxo one. In the history that's in the encyclopedia, if we go back all the way, okay. before the Bene Gesserit, I told you there were sorceresses. Yeah. There's one immortal sorceress somewhere in the universe. <laughs> I know you want her to live. You go back even further, the males in that community used to have the power. They just Really? Lo- they just lost it. Uh, evolution what? evolution oh. knocked it out of them but they used so to they're be trying able to go to, back to it exactly yeah we're trying to get back what we used to have is that the uh that's why they know it's possible oh my god is that the inheritance that he talks about here uh um, the racial inheritance no no because again that's encyclopedia adding that in so i wouldn't want no, no 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 oh okay yeah for like the male having it uh, before i wouldn't include that in any aspect of like okay, what gotcha, frank gotcha, kind of gotcha. built up All for right, fair, his fair, work fair. I will um yeah his inheritance thing when we get to i think is something different so we got paul <laughs> different from the mentat way and uh, he is able to see all the points uh, that have set him on this path. He's sort of like looking to his past now. And uh, the training, the sharpening of talents, all the disciplines, the exposure to the OC Bible at an important moment, which is going to be for us. We're thinking when Yui gave him the book, for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, this heavy intake of spice, which, again, don't know where that happened necessarily, but we're just taking it in. I guess it was while he's on this planet. That increase was enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, he looks ahead and he's just kind of terrified. And he calls himself a monster and a freak again. And love this point. Like Jessica, like she doesn't know uh, what to do. Because Paul is he's saying no, 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 no. And he starts pounding like his fists on the floor. Like he's throwing essentially a tantrum. Mm-hmm. And this is probably, this is, oh my God. This is one heartbeat after he just had the most controlled and steely voice where he told her about the dad. Mm-hmm. And then he just starts throwing this fit and wailing on the floor and stuff in the matter of like a heartbeat. Uh, that's what Jessica is seeing and only not seeing any facial expression, just the silhouette of him too, right. kind of flailing between these emotions. And um, not no, he uh, asks like, what have you done to me? And uh, in a burst of clarity, she sent some of the roots in the question. She said, I gave birth to you. And it was instinct from uh, as much of her own subtle knowledge, the precisely correct answer to calm him. I love that again. Precisely. Precisely correct. Like, it's so good. I mean, it's almost like cheap coming in just to tell you that, but Mm -hmm. 
fills it in. And then I like that she she takes his hands. She just holds his hands. She tells him that. And um, <laughs> I don't think this is the right time to do it, I guess. But because uh, uh. he felt her hands holding him, focused on the dim outline of her face. Certain gene traces in her facial structure were noted in a new way by his on-flowing mind. The clues added to the uh, to other data and the final sum, um, summation answer put forward. Based off everything he experienced in that heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And like, and I mean, since the thopter came down, yeah, a lot. Like, uh, and looking back over them, she does that and he just says, let go of me. And there's iron in his voice. She complies, but she's still asking what's wrong. And uh, I think at this point, Paul knows... Uh, <laughs> Her heritage a little bit. And he asked if she knew what she was doing when she trained him. You know, no, and this, this is also anger towards the Benny Gesserit in general right now. Cause he yeah. I think he's almost like the maybe if you compare it to the Kwisat Chatterak of the Ixians or a uh, Benny Tidalaxu. This is the Kwisat Chatterak of the Benny Gesserit. Hmm. They're still sort of being groomed and made by these organizations for a purpose. Yeah, specific to those organizations. Sure, outside of their own. He feels used. Mm -hmm. He feels like a tool. Yeah, manipulated. Manipulated, no choice in the matter. And And he's angry. I think it's uh, added on to, like, we saw he already had to kind of uh, accept that, like, the Mentat was done to him unknown. And he sort of... Yeah. He accepts that one out of, like, uh, out of good faith, so to speak. Of, like, okay, I understand why you couldn't tell me, but, like, oh, and I accept, and I get... But But but, he was interested in it, though. I was going to say, but he was asked for his consent at that point. Yeah. Because Lido's telling him, like, it gets to a point where we can't go on without you being aware and without you wanting to be involved. Right, right, right. That's going to be the huge uh, difference that that never happens in these ones. And, uh, yeah, she, uh, he asked, like, what she was doing when she trained him. And uh, she hears, this is the point where there's no more childhood in his voice. Yeah. So we lost it right there. That was when it with that heartbeat. That was when it all went out. And uh, when he glimpsed like the blind eternities, <laughs> it's weird how that will do that. <laughs> it's weird how that happens, you know. Puberty, am I right? <laughs> Should say, put some hair on your chest. <laughs> and uh, she tells him that she wanted kind of like whatever what any parent has wanted, and she wanted to be superior, to be different. And uh, he kind of comes back of like, you didn't want a son, you wanted a Quisat Hadarak, you wanted a male Bene Gesserit. And she recoils mm. from the bitterness in the voice. And I love what he comes back with. Because uh, this reminds me of when um, Jessica brought this to Thufir. Of like, did you re- put your tender your resignation to me? Did you tender it to Paul? Right, right, right. He's just like, did you ever consult my father in this? And uh, that's a matter that you and I kind of talked about with the Bene Gesserit training. Right. Like, I wonder how in the loop he was. And it definitely wasn't to this extent. No, 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 definitely not. Of knowing about that. And uh, she spoke gently out of the freshness of her grief. Whatever you are, Paul, my or the heredity is as much uh, your father's as me, but not the training, not the things that awakened the sleeper. Yeah, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, I'm coming again. <laughs> New character? The sleeper. Yeah. No, he just goes like, sleeper? And Paul's like, it's here. He puts a hand to his head and then to his breast. In me. It goes on and on and on. And, and then she has to like kind of yell, Paul. She heard hysteria edging in his voice. What does that mean? Woo. Uh, Awakened honestly, the sleeper? I don't know. Sleeper, I don't recall um, like coming up again or ever referring to it as, um, you know, like. Is that like a nickname for that, like uh, that uh, terrible purpose almost? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Kind of. It has to be an allusion to that, right? Like, it's just, like, a way to, like, uh, I guess, identify it mm-hmm. in something. Because, like, this is new. 
Yeah. And obviously something has awakened in him, but like it's not a consciousness necessarily. It's just this, I guess, maybe just expanding his own consciousness. It is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's the one thing I don't like. It, or what I find so weird about Sleeper here is it does seem like uh, like a third entity, isn't it? Like we're oh, waiting. It, it like, feels like, yeah, Like else. I'm waiting for another voice to come up then. Or... I think it's more along the lines of, you know how you were talking about like the percentage of your brain that you use? Yeah. I think it's just that extra percentage that's not used. That's oh, the sure, sleeper. Sure. Yeah, well, I, I think you're more right with the whole Quizotatarak thing of like, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever this whole thing that's happening to him, if that's totally what we're, or I'm sorry, the terrible purpose. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible purpose. Uh, I think that's definitely what it is. Uh, yeah. And then that, because in terms of the brain thing, like it was saying that specifically where all your ancestral memories but maybe there's more too. For sure. Yeah. No, yeah. there definitely is. Because we have this like whatever mystical thing Paul's able to do. I'm he just saying that's how, something that's is the how big they thing. rationalize that out of kind of giving a physical reasoning for why it's in your brain. Right. Or it's like a left behind thing. But yeah. I just, oh man, I want to so, I want to know more about the pressing itself because that just seems like it's the factor I know the least amount right now. And it, it will be the kind of thrust of the book going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's the core of this all. It's, right. Is Paul... And Paul using this prescience and understanding it uh, as he goes through this Ericking crisis. And I think Paul is more powerful than any family atomics he could hope to get a hold of. Information is dangerous. It is. It is. Yeah. Knowing what choices people will make before they make them is very dangerous. I think Mentats hope to do that. Yes. They can only they can. come up with possibility and probability. Paul can say with absolution, if I go down this route and make these choices, these people will make these ones. Interesting. And do you think it would be different if, like, he had the prescient abilities, but maybe if he didn't have the truth sense? And if that somehow also affects his ability the to look sense, in the future? like, is a... Or is it a prerequisite to look into the future? I don't think... Oh, God. Maybe. Do you know, or are you just like... No, no, I don't oh know. My God. No, that, that's sort of like a Derek. philosophical question. That was uh, out into the other. I was <laughs> like, because, like... Does, do you think the true sense is what you would then need to like that? You know, like your dreams and your aspirations could be filtered out. So you only see actual possibility and you're not like coloring it with anything Maybe. that couldn't actually be possible or the actualities. Oh, I don't know. I've never actually looked into the future. So I'm oh, and I'm wondering now. Oh, do. Oh, wait a second. Do you think a lot of this also is triggered by the fact that he has had a little bit more of the spice ingested by being on Arrakis? It's in the air. It's in the food. Presumably. I mean that that is what he means by spice intake. Spice intake, but yeah. you do think the spice is triggering something like how the navigators need spice to function? Got you. Oh, okay. Do you yeah. think the spice is helping trigger this as well, along yeah. with all of the emotional hardships that are uh, going at him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because actually, let me let me get right to this next line of here of uh, Paul saying, "You wanted the Reverend Mother to hear about my dreams. You will you listen in her place now. I've had a waking dream. Do you know why?" You must calm yourself, she said. He ignores her. There's the spice, he said. It's in everything here. The air, the soil, the food, the geriatric spice. It's like the truth-sayer drug. It's a poison. Now, that truth-sayer drug, like you're saying, yeah, that's what tips you up into that extra level. Right. You were totally dead on. That actually brings an end to my kind of question Mm -hmm. there of, like, they do go hand in hand. I think you have to have one to get the other. Uh, And that just makes you want to know what the spice is even more that it does this. So... In a way, I mean, like, not in a way. It is poisonous. Yep. Like, if you don't have it, you die. I guess from withdrawals, maybe. 
Yeah, that's, um, yeah, ultimately, like, so right, right now they have enough of it where they are bound to the world. And, like, uh, they say, like, like you know, if you, if you leave Arrakis, you Arrakis. take Arrakis with yeah. you. Yeah. That's actually really scary. I think that's a, that sounds like a great curse for, like, a planet. There's, okay, uh, 19, what, 1965? What can we relate this to? Our dependence on something at that time. Is that, like, a joke? Oil. 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 But I just mean that we talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. With OPEC and stuff. Uh, it's not a joke. It's the wine. I'm asking you legitimately. Okay, like, <laughs> I, just, I actually, I still couldn't tell the answer. Jam, like, Derek, your jam. Your face didn't change at all. So it was like, is, is, did he get that at all? I don't know where that registered on you. You just deadpan me. <laughs> yeah, oil. Is there something else that you wanted to like think no, about? No, I'm actually asking like, yeah, is there yeah, anything yeah. else besides oil? Because I mean. That's the uh, single... Um, resource economy kind of factor to spice the geriatric pop, uh, property of it. I don't really think there is an equivalent. You would have to like look at sort of like the drug scene that emerged around the time mm-hmm. for like the prescient part of it, uh, which definitely seems to like linger off of LSD. But yeah, I, I don't know uh, what else uh, we would equate it to there. But because it is everywhere, it create this is what's knocking Paul up to that next level. Uh huh. You and the spice, Paul said. The spice changes anyone who gets this much of it. But thanks to you, I could bring the change to consciousness. I don't get to leave it in the unconscious where its disturbance can be blanked out. I can see it. What? Yeah. So that cool, mellow feeling everybody else has when they have spice, that is that prescience hitting on you. It's like, oh no. Thank God you can't see it because you would just go insane. Now, Jessica is hearing madness in Paul's voice, and she still does not know what to do. Uh, I mean, this is for us. This is like the third person to go mad in this book. (laughs) (laughs) Leto and Yui already had some pretty rough days together, and uh, now it's like Paul's turn. And uh, he's just assuring her. uh, Oh, you know what, Mike? It's not the line that I I didn't read you the conscious one because I read you the trapped one where I said we're trapped here. And she said we're trapped. I agree. That was this part where they're talking about the spice. Mm-hmm. The spice is what's trapped them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then this is where Jessica recognizes that her body knew this well before her mind did. Uh, and I love that. Just a little Bene Gesserit uh, kind of instinct there. And uh, they're stuck here, but they have the path is has been prepared by the Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the only thing uh, that she knows uh, she can rely on. And she thinks back to what her course is going to be at this point. And that she is nothing but a brood mare for the Bene Gesserit to preserve. She has a job to do still. Granted, she's, I mean, he's still her son and she loves him. Mm -hmm. But she also, she has a lot of uh, different hats she's wearing right now. She also has to preserve the genes. Both him and her unborn daughter. Mm. Ooh, I wonder which one she means. Oh, it doesn't even mention, does it? No. That's actually really, really scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe, Aaliyah maybe both, is, maybe she's like, the backup, but, um, <laughs> I wanted to point out, uh, how quickly her allegiances get like, I feel like she's done grieving in a way. At least she and, got the chance to grieve. Right, right. But then she instantly is able to be like, I am no longer, you know, the, the Duke Leto's woman. I am not here for House Atreides. Like, there's no more allegiance to House Atreides. Only to her. And he goes, right, I exist only to serve. And, like, I serve the Bene Gesserit again. And, like, that's her goal. She knows this is what she must do. Um, So I decided how quickly she's able to switch back to that role. Now, um, Paul, uh, he's going to get on and uh, tell her about this waking dream. 
and he says like you will give birth to my sister here on Arrakis and um she's sort of blown away of like how does he know like she just internally kind of figured this out not too long ago she knows she's not showing any signs of it and uh he also tells her that the Fremen will accept them uh and it's going to be through the Missionaria Protectiva mm-hmm. which she's like how does he know about the Missionaria Protectiva that's not something we've talked about no uh, that's not something that's widely discussed no not at all <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty big secret yeah for a pretty big reason and uh, she finds it increasingly difficult to subdue her terror at the overpowering strangeness in Paul. He studied the dark shadow of her, seeing her fear by every reaction with his new awareness, as though she were outlined in blinding light. A beginning of compassion for her crept over him. Just like, oh my God. Wow. So now the son is sort of just like pitying his mom a little bit. Just like, oh, poor Jessica. Like, you're so slow. Like, oh, what are we going to do with you? And uh, these things go on, and Paul's sort of like again reaccounting this whole waking dream he had of like, the th- it's like now just so you know that I'm telling you the truth and that you will accept the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you. I'm just gonna drop some bombshells here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, um, now and again, not lack, not a lack of emotion. Paul said, now there was fury in his voice. Ooh. And what's he say? He says. To be sure you accept what I say, I'll tell you first, I know you'll bear a daughter, my sister, here on Arrakis. What the hell? Just slamming it in. So he's already seen his sister be born and, like, grow to, like, well, I guess the age of, like, one or something. Yeah, however, yeah. Because he can see about a year into the future. Well, no, he can see further. Yep. So accurately a year, but he can see further possibilities. Sure. Oh, my God. Probably innumerable ages. I wouldn't even uh, try to pin it down. Oh, my God. Um, and yeah, so this is the point where I said early on that like, you know, Jessica backs up to the back of the tent, back against the wall. I'm there with Jessica like, oh my God. Yeah, this is getting out of hand. Yeah. Because he goes on to like tell her the stream and stuff and um, the things that can happen here, I cannot begin to tell you. I cannot even begin to tell myself, although I've seen them. The sense of the future, I seem to have no control over it. The thing just happens. The immediate future, say a year, I can see some of that. As a road, uh, a road as broad as our central avenue on Caladan. So that's going to be mainly what we were pulling from here for this mm-hmm. year part. Some places I don't see, shadowed places, as though it went behind a hill. And again, he thought of a surface of a blowing kerchief. And then there are branches. Um, and then, like, nothing in Paul's life had view- had kind of prepared him for this view of naked time. Like, that is what's been so shocking, oh. almost traumatizing uh, for him to this point. And uh, recalling the experience, he recognized his own terrible purpose, the pressure of his life spreading outward like an expanding bubble, time retreating before it. I love that image. Oh, my God. Just his life spreading outward. And... Uh, at this point, Jessica <laughs> turns on a nightlight. <laughs> like, excuse yeah. me. And we get a little, uh, it's a tense glow tab control. She activates it, and this dim light uh, kind of bursts and drives back the shadows. I'm surprised we didn't get a litany of fear in Jessica's mind right now. Uh, you know it. Yeah, it's in there somewhere. Uh, I've been rolling through. And uh, she's sort of just looking at Paul, and he's at this point, it's just sort of like this inward stare. So that's been that, that whole time in the dark of just the sort of like blank face, which I imagine is similar to uh, when Piter killed. That glassy-eyed kind of look that came over him, maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, and 
she knows this look because she's seen it before. Yeah, pictured in records of disasters. That inward stare of facing your own mortality. We then, and specifically, it says on the faces of children who experienced starvation or terrible injury is where she had seen it. The eyes were like pits, mouth a straight line, cheeks and drawn. It's the look of terrible awareness, she thought. And then, like you said, someone forced to a knowledge of their own mortality. That's ridiculous. He was indeed no longer a child. And I mean, that kind it's the of the worst bar mitzvah ever. <laughs> Again, I've only been to one. Uh, <laughs> but of the two, yeah, this one sucks. Should be like presents, dancing in Hebrew, like dance. There's a great scroll you bring it around. I think everybody touches it. No, this um, one, the sleeper has awakened. <laughs> oh, okay. Heavy metal ball. Um, so I think Jessica, she kind of tries to spin this to the positive. And she's like, so there's a way to evade the Harkonnens? Like, that means we're getting out, right? It's like, <laughs> you said we're getting to the Fremen? I just love that that's the first thing she can muster from all of this. I think it's so the you can only see a way thing. out? Yeah, but it's like, find the silver lining. Oh find the silver God. lining. And the Harkonnens, he sneered, put those twisted humans out of your mind. He stared at his mother, studying the lines of her face in the light of the glow globe tab. Oh, the lines betrayed her. Derek. Are we almost there? Uh, so Jessica cuts in and she she chastises him a little. Like, be careful who you call human. <laughs> like, you shouldn't refer to people as humans without. He just cuts her off. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And they drop the bomb, Mike. Don't be so sure you know where to draw the line. We carry our past with us. And mother mine, there's a thing you don't know and should. We are Harkonnens. And I love it. Jessica's mind blanks out. She can still hear, hear Paul go on in tone and pace, but like her mind has to just like help her out and be like, nope, we didn't hear that. La 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 la. la, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> Old Bene Gesserit secret here. And uh, I think it's uh, looking at the lines. He tells her, like, look at the lines of my face, the hands, the set of bones. Like, what more do you need to, you know, to know? It's like, why do you not see it? Do you think maybe it was like a Benny Jesser hypnosis thing so that they wouldn't Ooh. see it? Ooh, my, bringing it back. Like, the, <laughs> oh, when they put the yeah. stop on him? Yeah, yeah, It has to be. How else? Because, like, we... they have the power of minutia. Why wouldn't she be able to see that? Or, or We've looked at everybody's face for so long. Yeah. Every oh man, Leto is like stared at her face. You never once saw the Baron looking back out at you. Oh, but um, Jessica, like, yeah, so her mind blacks out. Paul does that, but Paul, beyond like telling her, like, look at all this physical evidence on me and yourself, yeah, he's like, I've seen the record, a place he has the data, uh, he has all the data, he assures us. So, this is what I'm talking about. So, in the future, he sees a record of the past, so he can tell the past just by a possible future and seeing it. He can tell the past by reading a book in the future. That's terrifying. Yeah. That's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it is. That'd be just, it's like Bill and Ted's like, reminder, I'm going to get a library card. (laughs) (laughs) I'll know everything. Find out who my grandfather is. But like, isn't that kind of scary? Yeah. Like the implication of that is so good. And I think that's something that maybe people never really considered when it comes to like time travel and like futuristic like uh, narratives. It's just like, I can see the future. I read a book in the future. I can see the past as well, based off of what I've read in the future. Yeah, and it, it just creates a paradox. Yeah. Uh, a little feedback loop. Uh, we, oh. we, we can't go down that rabbit hole, though, Mike. No, I know. I just I think that's a really interesting thread that Frank Herbert hit mm-hmm. that I've never considered or, like, really thought about in depth. But I think Bill and Ted is a really good, like, uh, 
reference to that or like way to interpret that. It's like as long as you uh, you see yourself doing something in the future, you know that like, yeah, absolutely. We're good. We're good. You we just got to commit yourself to like note to self. Got to like gotta really remember. Yeah. Don't forget, man. Set Although, two wait, no, never mind. Because it's a little different with Paul because he doesn't have to go down those avenues. He can just see them because he's seen multiple ways he dies. Yeah. And after that, it's kind of like. Well, I think at that point we could start going down like uh, an almost like multiverse kind of perspective or yeah. a few things, which maybe weren't as popular in the zeitgeist at the time. Um, you know, I don't like, feel like seems... an existential crisis today. Let's let Paul deal with this. I'm down with that. Packing <laughs> it back up. Um, so we have a uh, yeah, Paul's brandless and Jessica is the Baron's own daughter. Oh, yup. And uh, strange. Oh, you know what? I made a note of that. Jessica didn't figure this out when she was face to face with the Baron. That, that's why I think that hypnosis the, the, the was probably point, yeah. at work. But oh, my God. So Paul says uh, it was done for genetic reasons by one of you. And this is like a slap of the face to Jessica. And it sends her mind. Racing. He says it with like such sort of like hate. Yeah, I mean, he is angry for the reasons we know. Yeah, I mean, he's been manipulated. But on top of it, I feel like this is uh, insulting to his father a little bit. Like his dad was used in this part of the play because mm-hmm. they weren't trying to like it uh, wasn't love that brought them together. It was genetic breeding. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, Paul not recognizing that fully, not appreciating. It. I think mm-hmm. it was love, but yeah, in, I mean, in the it, moment, it him, was love. And looking at it, but yeah. she was also given a very specific mission. Yeah, yeah, there was an ulterior motive there for sure. So, and I mean, uh, they but, got lucky. They got lucky, but but what Paul wants to point out is like they weren't trying to end the feud. Like that no. wasn't even a part of this for them. I still think pragmatically that was on the table, but like that was I mean, possibly a, the that, thing it is was just, that was a superficial reason. That well, was, the end, yeah, that right. wasn't what the Ben Jesuit wanted. They wanted to fix a genetic error. How many times do you think it had happened that like Atreides and Harkonnens and a Harkonnens into Atreides? Because supposedly, so it was a Harkonnen, Harkonnen uh, sire is Jessica. Mm-hmm. And Jessica into the Atreides, to Sire and Atreides, and then that child would also be back to the Harkonnens, back to the Harkonnens and Sire, another sort of like mix and between Presumably them. that would be what fixes the genetic and, problem. Yeah, that would be the Quisach Haderach. Like, well, one. no, but like whatever, they're, whatever beyond the Quisach Haderach. I don't know if you have to fix the anomaly to get to the Haderach, but like there's something they were trying to do. Well, no, because we knew that it was going to be the next one in line. Yeah, yeah, I'm just According saying, I, I don't know if there's a necessarily a correlation I don't know, maybe, of, like, necessity. I think they, maybe they were so it, close it with both. It makes sense, yeah. Maybe yeah. they were so close with both lines, they just needed to get the, like, sure. uh, the probabilities right on the genes itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how much probability there is when you can actually move a couple chromosomes as a Bene Gesserit. And do your thing. But, um, yeah, no, that's the Baron, Derek. The Baron. Hey. How? I don't, oh, how what? Okay, so, okay, so, oh my god. So, How do Paul, you... Paul says that when the Baron was younger, mm-hmm. he, al- what, he allowed himself, or he, he experienced many pleasures and allowed himself to be seduced by Benny Jesuit. That's literally, they, they came to Harko, grabbed, uh, grabbed the one night stand, and then took off. Mm-hmm. And that person is... Allegedly, guys, hell of a No, why do you say allegedly? That's our encyclopedia is what's uh, hammering home uh, that for us. There's one scene at the end of the book that I think makes it look that way. Otherwise, Frank's never going to like hard land on that. Oh, 
right because uh, it's not like really explicitly said right this point. is definitely like our encyclopedia universe that we're looking at we're, okay. we're gonna like, accept it as de facto i think it makes a better story uh and the encyclopedia bit that lines it up is really cool um brian herbert also keeps it that way in his book oh does he keep it the prequels do the seduction point All right uh, do we have to have like a spoiler warning for this um, no, uh, not really. Uh, I mean, you're, if you've already gotten past episode one and joined us here, you've, <laughs> I mean, you've met that, you've met our spoiler warning. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not gonna, <laughs> we I'm, didn't even have a spoiler warning. We just like, well, just, I'm not going to go into like the Brian Herbert bit. Okay, so for yeah. anyone that's going to read the prequels, like go it, for it. I do. I do kind of appreciate the fact that he did go back and like, uh, actually keep to that. Kept, it, it's yeah. true to it. Is it good for that? Um, no, Paulus Minotaurus, uh, yeah. switcheroo. Switcheroos. Oh, I took away the good stuff. And, um, <laughs> The encyclopedia, though, it is different from Brian Herbert's version. So in the encyclopedia one, which I will tell you about, it said that uh, Gaius Amahayim, she had to take on a different name. She had, she had to, she went deep cover for that. Right, one, right, right. She slipped in there. So the Baron had no idea. What age did Gaius Amahayim become the truth to the Emperor? Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Well, uh, she became Reverend Mother after she gave birth to Jessica. Okay. So if I, if I recall, if the Baron came face to face with her, do you think he would recognize her? No, probably no. no, definitely not. One, like she probably did enough. Like if she went different name, I bet she changed her hair, you know, did whatever. Probably some disguise set up to some extent. And mm. then it's the Baron. Like he wouldn't have been interested. Right, right, right. Uh, he would have just been along for the ride. Oh, my God, uh, though. He probably got something out of it. So ride. I, I was, I guess, right that I saw some royalty there. But like, yeah, there's there's the royalty. I thought, I, oh, man, I was off. I was off. I thought she was related to Margot somehow. Oh, okay. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, like little sisters? Yeah, like something along those lines. I mean, that doesn't really solve her like uh, genealogy, though, or her mysterious lineage. No, no, it doesn't, but... Um, oh, wait, no. Did we get... No, we talked we, to Mar get, Margot's parents. We did get both of them. Yeah. Damn, okay, it wasn't Guy's Hell. No, no, It's no. like, maybe, are they stepsisters? Well, uh, that's why I thought that, like, maybe Guy's Hell took the seed of... Uh, each of Margot's father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. like, I mean, the Benny Jesuit would just do that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Why not? Uh huh. It's just what they do. But yeah, so she is a Harkonnen through and through. And um, I think, uh, like I said, they were trying, they weren't trying to end the feud there. Like, mm -hmm. this is just for the Benny Jesuit reasons. And uh, as though he saw inside her mind, uh, Paul said, uh, they thought they were reaching for me. But I'm not what they expected, and I've arrived before my time, and they don't know it. So that's that bit there I was pointing out before that I, I've arrived before my time, and they don't know it. And so that's Paul telling us, like, so guy Salmahayam. That's he's clearly who he's talking about. Right? She has no idea. Right? She doesn't. She know. didn't recognize it. Mm -mm. And Paul's looking in the future is able to see, like, yeah, she still she doesn't still doesn't know. know. <laughs> so whatever I thought she might have had up her sleeve or there, it's like not. I do not. She does not scare me anymore. And so Jessica is just like, great mother. He's the Quisach Hatterock. So he is it. It's like you're probably thinking I'm the Quisach Hatterock. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, <laughs> <laughs> keeps being one ahead of her. Uh, and so it's just oh. like Jessica. She feels exposed before him. Nothing can be hidden from his sight. Uh, and then instantly she's sort of like, she has to get word to the schools. And this is that allegiance to the Bene Gesserit sort of superseding and very natural to her. And she wants to get a message back. She's like, they have to look over the mating index. They have to be able to find the answers to what's happening here. So like, she's still trying to like help the Bene Gesserit out and fix some of their mistakes, so to speak. And, uh, Paul tells her, 
knowing again what she's thinking, like in her head, so to speak. They won't learn about me until it's too late, he said. <laughs> she's just sort of like tries to divert him back to the Fremen, I guess. Of uh, the and um, she, I think she just brings up that they'll be with the Fremen. And Paul's like, oh, well, the Fremen, they have a say and they credit to Shai Halud, Old Father Eternity. We, we know Shai Halud. Yeah, uh, I think I said Old Man of the Desert. I think that is still another name of his. Old Father Eternity. Old Father well, maybe this is a different interpretation down the road. Well, I was just going to no, it's, it's another name for him. Oh, though. it is another yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, it it's a very cool name. Old Father um, Eternity. Old Father Eternity. That's so good. For a worm, yeah. Old Father Eternity. I feel like that's got to be the biggest worm out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, the oldest or worm, no, too. Uh, old Man of the Desert, I think, is the biggest worm out there. Is it? Isn't we, got, like, we, got, uh, we got a word for that okay. one. Yeah, he shows up. Uh, <laughs> I think, oh I think we get to see the biggest worm. <laughs> and um, yeah, so he said, uh, they say, be prepared to appreciate what you meet. That's a good Fremen say. The credit to Shai Halud. Be pre- yeah, old father eternity. Be prepared. <laughs> Which is uh, maybe that's that prescient worm. <laughs> uh, a prescient worm. <laughs> Appreciate what you meet. <laughs> comes up and eats you right I'm away. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Oh, and I like he keeps calling her mother mine. Yes, mother mine. I don't I'm like not, that. It's so creepy. That's like, like uh, you know that Doctor Who episode with like the family. It's very very big. Oh, it's uh, it's David Tennant and sorry, is that that's the one with the, the gas mask? No, no, no. no? It's okay. David Tennant, and he uh, it's our first experience with the Time Watch where he puts all his memories into a Time Watch, forgets who he is. He's John Smith now. Okay. And there's this weird family of people that are hunting him because they want his uh, his TARDIS. They want to feed off of the TARDIS's energy. Oh, God. I, and, I remember uh, all that. What is, I don't remember the family, though. Oh, yeah. The family, they go, brother of mine, mother of mine. Oh, yeah, mother mine. Very, very creepy. Um, but he says, yes, mother mine. Among the Fremen, you'll acquire the blue the blue eyes and the callus beside your lovely nose from the filter tube of your still suit. And you'll bear my sister, St. Aaliyah of the Knife. Jerica, call it! You got, I got one right! You got one, right? <laughs> and she will grow up Fremen. So you got two for two on that one. You didn't, oh. you didn't know how you got it, but you got it. Oh. I told you. Oh now, my god, I feel so good about that. One unresolved factor. Yeah, okay. Saint. <laughs> the sainthood. Okay, okay well, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing now. If she grows up to be anything like Paul, because they still have technically the same genes, same father, same mother, mm-hmm. is there a possibility she could also have a lot of the same abilities that Paul does? Not the train, necessarily. Yeah, um, oh, man. But, I, so, I, you know what? I think a new thing... Every Atreides is an exception. So she will have a... She's going to be like Paul, but different. Okay. okay. <laughs> and different in ways that Paul never could be. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, actually, yeah. That's Maybe that's a good way to leave that. Because she's female? Nope. Because she doesn't have... Because she's Fremen? Nope. Because she's on Arrakis? There's no way you're going to guess it. So, oh, God damn it. Uh, what? If, if you did guess it, Mike, we would just have to stop and I would have to bring you to a doctor and be like, no, you won't believe what he knew. <laughs> you, you were never guessing. The sleeper has a like, Yeah, yeah. If you just out of nowhere told me why it's St. Aaliyah <laughs> and how <laughs> she's different, I mean, no, we would just stop. It's, well, it's definitely religious. Uh, yeah, that's all I know. Is. It is definitely, definitely religious. religious but, um, oh no, no. It's going to be a really cool evolution. Um, she does have like Paul's kind of power. So we're going to be able to look forward to watching that oh uh, we God. will meet her in this book too so 
Right. Oh, so Look what's the span that this book takes place in again? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, that yeah. Like okay. You're trying to nail down how old is she going to be? <laughs> At least like, a year. You can say a year. <laughs> At least a year. You're guaranteed that. <laughs> She's, she'll, she'll be born. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so maybe a little further. <laughs> Damn it. All right, what's next? What's next? Okay. <laughs> and he thought, this is uh, Paul, I'm a seed. He suddenly saw how fertile the ground was uh, into which he had fallen. And with this realization, the terrible purpose filled him, creeping through the empty place within, threatening to choke him with grief. Mm. I love the seed, though. Obviously, the cho- choosing that one to drop into the fertile, That's being stuck in the desert. A rack- oh. yeah. And the, you wouldn't think a desert is fertile, but like this is a fertile spot for him to be. Yeah, this is where he's meant to be and where he is meant to blossom and grow, become even, something. Uh, even in our world, um, one of the things from Seven Pillars of Wisdom Ooh. that uh, Lawrence of Arabia pumped out was that he felt it was um, constantly like the desert itself was just churning out prophets. And mm. uh, the big religions that we have, those are just the ones that caught on. And got like popular and held sway. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, um, he described it as like um, tribes forming in the south would constantly be formed or pushed north by existing tribes. So like if a new tribe came to be, they wouldn't have access to land and they would get like pushed out. And you would always be moving through other people's territory. And it was sort of like running that gauntlet was what he described as like such a stressful and arduous journey that those prophets would take that journey, have all these revelatory thoughts and go through all these experiences and just be sharing what, you know, what they're going that through. sounds like the Zensuni to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Getting pushed through like this Hodge kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and granted, this is sort of like a simplification of that religious process and what was going on and sort of like what is now Saudi Arabia. Um, but that was just something like he saw historically being like, why did so many religions form here and here alone? Mm-hmm. Why do they all come from this one area? And that was sort of his flaw or theory behind it, maybe is the one to go to. So I like that. Yeah, Paul, Paul is just another one of those you know, seed blown in the wind. And now he's been dropped into this like extremely challenging and hostile area that will it's going to let him flourish in so many ways. But this Paul, is his uh, place. This is his place and his time. No Moadib. And uh, I love uh, I love what Jessica and him say here is like, if you're not the Kwisatz Haderach, then what? And uh he just he just retorts, you couldn't possibly know. And you won't until you won't believe it until you see it. Do you see it? Like, Read book two. <laughs> um, and you can pre-order now. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> Paul, uh, he's looking into the future from this point. He he sees two main branches ahead of him. Oh. On one branch, he uh it's him, and he ends up confronting an evil old baron and said, Hello, grandfather. The thought of that path and what lay along it sickened him. So it says confront. Do you think that means like in a like joining with the Baron kind of way or like a, a overthrowing and confronting the Baron? Because why would it sicken him then? Maybe the, maybe the aftermath of it, like what or maybe the preface, like what got him to that point or what happens after that point? Because the other one sounds pretty fucking terrible, too. That's the thing of like, yeah. So why is this the sickening one? I feel like it There's means more like, to it. There's more to it. Well, uh, well, I was gonna. We're we're not gonna get any more to it in this chapter, though. And we're never. No, but there's we, gotta be more to it. Right, right. But we don't touch on. But I would say like um, the Baron's like uh, pedophilia has been like fairly downplayed in how he refers to each like subject around. And I wonder if it's something like that kind of sickening, and that's why I say like Paul being sort of like 
Kind of oh like God, I hope kind of like replacing Fade essentially. I hope not. And like the Baron being the one in pulling the strings now. Just like yeah, that yeah, you have your tongue like hanging in your oh. mouth and just kind of like that's what I'm getting at. But he sees another path. And it's uh, long patches of gray obscurity, except for peaks of violence. He had seen a warrior religion there, a fire spreading across the universe with the Atreides green and black banner waving at the head of fanatic legions drunk on spice liquor. Drunken Idaho. Drunken Idaho. Gurney Halleck and a few others of his father's men, a pitiful few, uh, a use of pity again, were Mm -hmm. among them, all marked by the hawk symbol from the shrine of his father's skull. Paul muttered... Uh, this is the way the old witches want. Being that warrior religion in that kind of massive spread. Um, anything standing oh. out to you from that other path? Obviously, like, uh, we know the banner is going to be the Atreides banner, but that he sees this warrior religion spreading out. Because uh, we just talked about a saint. So she would do, that would tie into that a little bit. Do you think, oh, do you think, oh, wait a second. That's where the religious aspect comes into. So do you think that uh, that future is him and his sister somehow create this, like, new religion of, like, just warriors? Or at least uh, maybe augmented existing religion or, like, yeah. And it's, okay, and it's fire spreading across the universe with the Atreides green and black banner waving at the head of fanatic, fanatic legions. Drunk on spice liquor. Gurney Halleck. And a few others of his father's men, a pitiful few. Oh my god! God, all marked by the hawk symbol from the shrine of his father's skull. It just makes you think like Leto would be like not happy to see this future before. His no, son. see all his men, his imagery. I like, think this is the future. Paul just he says that can never happen. Whatever that is. And, but this is also what the old witches want. This is what he's been being pushed towards in a way. Why do they want this? I don't know. But I get the feeling of those two branches. Like, those are the two obvious, the two easiest paths maybe for him to walk down. And this one is that way because this is what the Bene Gesserit are pulling. Like, that's what they're pulling for. That's what they want him to fall into. Uh, Or rather, that's what they would if they knew he was at this point to choose. Do you want to? I think this has to do with uh, the Atreides. uh, They have that loyalty to a fault. Where, like, they would probably do great evil just because of how loyal they are to that banner. And it reminds me of an old chapter we have. Which was? uh, Chapter 14. And uh, with uh, Good Duke himself saying, uh, he pointed out the window to the Atreides' green and black banner hanging limply Mm -hmm. from a staff at the end of the landing field. That honorable banner could come to mean many evil things. Mike, you're picking up on it. And uh, what was the other bit about Leto that we saw foreshadowed a few times? It was always his skull. Oh, the skull. skull. And like that. Oh, dude. The skull. A shrine of his father's skull. We saw that imposed on him twice. Imposed on Do you think that, again, that was uh, that was the, okay, we'll call it the sleeper for now. That, yeah, that, that terrible was, that purpose. That was the future. Can we, do you think we could just go ahead and use that moniker for now? Or do you think it's just not right to use that exact same thing in place what? of terrible purpose? Uh, no, no, we, you shouldn't, don't get comfortable with sleeper. It's okay. never coming back. Oh, really? It's just uh, yeah. like a one? Yep, one shot. <laughs> Bro, like such a great line. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I th- he couldn't get rid of it. You can't cut that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be terrible purpose every other time. Uh, coming <laughs> That's one of those things where, uh, in the back alley, Frank gets me up. It's like the sleeper has awakened. Like that's pretty good, Frank, and beats it out again. Never using it again. Oh God, why? And I'm cutting it from the book. 
But uh, no. Oh man. So that's a terrible purpose. Seeing or subconsciously knowing that that is a possible future, and that's why it's superimposed on his face. Do you think maybe? Because I, I, I do think it's a terrible purpose, sort of like. Yeah, yeah. I would. I wouldn't. I don't think it's like. Um. I think it's just allusion to the future, not like any attempt to see the future. No, as, not as an Paul's attempt. Like, okay, I'm, that's just kind of what you made it seem like it was like the terrible future, terrible person trying to like push through. But yeah, no, I think it's just Paul's innate ability kind of popping up. Like he said here where he can't control it. That's right. That's just it. That was just glimmers of it kind of uh, overlaid on his normal view. And it was hard to make out what it meant or what it really was. But he knew it was important to some extent. This means that Gurney Halleck's making it out somehow, right? <laughs> it means Gurney Halleck's not dead right now. Right. If we say all the right words until the end of this chapter, he could still be alive. Well, I don't think he's going to have anything to do with uh, Arakeen right now for a while. Like Paul and Jessica. Oh, yeah. So I think, I mean, I think Gurney's going to be surviving by himself for a while doing his own thing. Oh, all the uh, lieutenants are scattered to the four winds. Oh, uh, yeah. So like, I mean, we'll we'll touch bases and see who survived and what they were doing to oh, get yeah. out of there um, when they go to it. But yeah, no one's in Arakeen right now. That is, that's Harkonnen territory once again. But oh my gosh. Oh, some shrine of, that's so terrifying. Mm. And uh, oh. so no matter what, I can't go that way. That's what the old witches of your schools really want. And uh, she has no idea what he's talking about. No. <laughs> he hasn't muttered any of this. No. Nope. She's like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, well, that's why I like that Paul kind of mutters it, where I'm like, I don't even really think he's talking to Jessica at that point. But he, okay, this is interesting, too. He uh, remained silent, thinking that he was seed, thinking with the thinking Thinking. with the race consciousness that he had first experienced as terrible terrible purpose. purpose. Is that just, so race consciousness, what does that mean exactly? Okay, so this is when, if we had uh, more time for like a deep dive thing, we would kind of touch on, but like, um, do you know Jung, like J-U-N-G? No. It's like a thinker, and he had this idea of um, like our collective unconscious kind of deal. Okay. And sort of like that group consciousness that we all share. Okay. So that, uh, you know, that goes back through all of our ancestry and that's sort of like how we pass down, um, you know, our ancient fears and stuff that we know. Oh, it's sort of like the idea of like program DNA. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I, we, we, I've used this a few times and I've always tried to, I think, say ancestral memory and stuff like that. The race consciousness, I believe, is part of like a semi-racist ideology. Oh! (laughs) Well, it comes out of like um, um, eugenics and the stuff like that where like, I don't know quite, I don't want to like say I'm a, I'm an expert on the history of it and that right. it's exactly rooted in, but I know tangentially they've taken it and used it. So I always try to avoid the use of at least race in it. Cause one, we're not different races. We are all just human. Yeah. So it's sort of stupid. So that's why I think ancestor of like, it's going to go all of us. Like, and I'm just saying, I would even argue that this would go back to like, uh, before human too. Like if it's in DNA, like, yeah, I think, it right. just, I think it just runs the gambit back to the primordial ooze. And like, uh, however, but the, you know, the, the DNA encoding's not as like crazy back then. So you right, can't right, make right. sense of that story at this point. Um, so this that, reminds me of Assassin's Creed. So like the race conscious. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. but I think it is your collective unconscious. Right. 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 And, um, it goes, it's going to flux a little bit. So like some people can see like everybody and everything. Others can only do like their line. And uh, I feel like the story sort of lets it go either way. Um, one character in Children of Dune, they say specifically they can see everybody's deaths that they look back on. But then, like, another description of how this is done is that um, it breaks the memories themselves stop at the point of conception. So, like, uh, your grandmother conceives your mother. 
your mother would have all your grandma's memories up to that point. Up to that inception. point. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Then it that switches, and so it keeps going. So then you should never have the memory of any deaths. But, and that's why I said that St. Helia would probably have the memories of that letter from Yui. Right. 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 Um. Yeah, yeah. If she got the access to, like, everything. Right. Because she's still an embryo. She's still, like, sort of at that point. No, no, no. She's point, past the point of conception. Oh, conception. But Aaliyah will have the memory of the letter. Is that one of those like special Aaliyah yeah, power just, things? Yeah, pretty much. <sighs> uh, now I want to know her. Yeah, she's pretty, pretty cool, Mike. Pretty cool. Lady. <sighs> she's gnarly. Um, but so that's what I what I call that. Race consciousness. But and that is what the terrible purpose is. So that we've been acquainted now. That's that thing in your head. And um, then I would say that is that area in your brain that we talked about during the voice. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And uh, yeah, he found that he could uh, no longer hate the Bene Gesserit or the Emperor or even the Harkonnens. They were all caught up in the need of their race to renew its scattered inheritance, to cross and mingle and infuse their bloodlines in a great new pooling of genes. And the race knew only one sure way for this, the ancient way the tried and certain way that ruled over everything in its path. Jihad. Now, I had to look this up, and thankfully, I had asked you, like, what's jihad mean, Derek? After I asked you, like, five minutes later, I actually found it in the glossary. <laughs> it felt really dumb. Glossary. Good. That's, uh, I, I only gave you, like, the Vegas. I gave you a safe answer. Yeah. Of, like, it's probably different because I got a week wrong. So, <laughs> what is it? But in the context of the book, it is a holy crusade. Okay. And, I mean, that doesn't really color that, I think, in the way any better than what you would have had in mind before then, does it? No, but it makes me, it makes me think about uh, this path of the green and black banner. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, that's, sort of, that's already what a jihad... What, what did you think a jihad was before? I had no idea. Oh, okay. That's why I asked. Yeah, um, for me, I, I play a lot of uh, my favorite games, Crusader Kings 2, that computer game. Oh, and yeah, it yeah, lets yeah. You, you tell uh, me about that all the time. It's Is like that a, the one where, like, a horse conquered an empire or something like that? In one storyline. <laughs> that's going to really make this game not seem accurate anymore. It's, uh, <laughs> Sorry, continue. It's going to follow up with this uh, historical simulator <laughs> for the Middle Evil Ages. Uh, but nonetheless, it focuses on, like, uh, the conflict between Catholicism and Islam. And uh, so the big point is, if you're a Catholic ruler, you're able to initiate a crusade. If you're one of the Muslim rulers and you establish a caliphate, you can initiate a jihad. And the jihads kind of go counter or against sort of the like, crusade. They're sort of interchangeable in that, right? I, I, w- I guess I don't know enough I want to say that they are interchangeable. Sure. Okay. There's, there's probably some layers uh, of depth that I'm... But uh, colloquially, okay. yeah, we're going to say they're both holy wars right. and expansion. In, in, at least in the context of this book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At the very least. So that's, uh, that's how I've always seen a jihad. And um, Ooh. Sorry, religious yeah. crusade or fanatical crusade, Ooh. sort of interchangeably there. We've used both words in our description of these men earlier. Oh, fin- oh. Religious war- fanatical warriors. Oh, God, you're right. Yeah. Oh, that, so that's totally what that is. Hey, uh, so, Mike, look up uh, Fadakin. Fadakin? What's Fadakin? It's uh, F-E-Y, I think. Hey, okay, yeah, yeah. Fadakin. Fremen Death... Fremen <laughs> Death Commandos?! Okay, moving on. Wait, wait, wait a second. Historically, a group formed and pledged to give their lives to right a wrong. What the hell? Fade again. Yeah, dude, they know how to jihad. <laughs> they don't mess around. <laughs> what? You thought your death trap out was cool. <laughs> what? Thought you'd like that. And now I know that's... You just th- have that handy? I was going to say, and now I know that's not today's... Oh, yeah, Mike. Once you read the book, you don't forget Fade again. <laughs> <laughs> I- you can cross that off your list of glossy yeah. <laughs> 
Bremen Death Commandos. Ooh. We got to keep going, though, Mike. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Paul is saying um, he doesn't want to choose this path, but he keeps seeing the uh, Skull Shrine and Banner kind of over and over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going to be reiterated throughout the book of a common problem he's facing. Every time he's going to look in, like, this is the constant path we're going to look down that Paul doesn't want to do. He does not want this jihad to happen. The shrine of his father's skull. That it's that is a, a part of it. It's this. But jihad. I mean, that's just how it's, I visualize it. Sure, sure. A black banner with a skull in it, front of I it. I think actually the second thing I was gonna say, maybe more than jihad, was like that banner representing violence. That's right. the other thing that really gets him. Oh, because of his father. I think a lot because of the influence of the father. But right. Yeah, the banner representing violence in a way, and not something that. Leto ever would have wanted that to represent. Yeah, that's why I think it would bother him so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely, like, I think everything Paul puts into his nobility is in a way a um, transference to his father, you know? Mm-hmm. Or how, what would be the word for that? Um, but like the transitive value of love is kind of what I want to say. Like, uh, But, like, it all is just another form of 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 his showing his affection towards his dad. Like, this is what his dad taught him, Um, Mm -hmm. especially with how much he is instituted into the Frau for Luchas. Uh, Remember when, when, like, Leto even mentioned running away and leaving? I think, from this point on, Paul, I don't think he likes the Frau for Luchas anymore. Sort of what they represent and how they react. I mean, like, everyone in the Frau for Luchas, if you're part of a great house, you have access to the spice, you dip into the spice, consume the spice... I don't think he likes the fact that we're so reliant on this poison. No, so none of the other houses are like poisoned by it. Like they are all relatively fine. Okay. Right. Like they're not just not as uh, dependent on it, so to speak. All right. So I just, I just wouldn't build that too much up as a, as a factor for, okay. Um, uh, for like, for, yeah, trying to constitute why he wouldn't like the Frau for Luchas. Okay. I, I don't think that one necessarily stands the test, but I think like uh, your sentiment isn't that far off of like him looking back on them all now and judging them way differently. Right. Uh, from his current perspective. Okay. But, uh, we get to our, our final chapter in this and Jessica, oh. she clears her throat and, uh, she asks about the Fremen again. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is all she's got. She's got this one card to kind of play to make some room in this tent. And he looks up staring across the green-lighted tent at the in- inbred patrician lines of her face. Yes, he said. That's one of the ways. He nodded. Yes. They'll call me Moadib, the one who points the way. Yes, that's what they'll call me. And he closed his eyes, thinking, Now, my father, I can mourn you. And he felt the tears coursing down his cheeks. That is the end of book one of Dune. Oh, my I just I love that they uh, we get the quick Moadib's gonna be his name. He's telling us that right now. Oh my god, the, the one, one who, who points, points the way. way, and that's directly related to that celestial constellation there. Oh, I was even gonna say let's go right, and I think you can pre the fact that it's using way is gonna and he's the Quisachaderik, which is the shortening of the way, and he's gonna be the one who shows you the way, and he can oh. show you the shortest path. Like I think that is all all. Uh, Connected for a reason there. Oh my god. Yes, that's what they'll call me. So do you okay. Is uh Muadib a name given to him by the Fremen? Or is it since he already knows that's gonna be his name, does he call himself that before they call him that? Is this a paradox where he Ooh. creates the Muadib moniker? Oh man, you you actually got me a little uh off guard where I I think I think he picks it. 
But I would, uh, I really don't want to commit. I feel so stupid right, right now. In this <laughs> no, book. sorry. Like, I, I mean, mean it's such a big point in the book. Yeah, okay. But I'm like, yeah, when he encounters him, I can't remember right now if the guy says it to him or if Paul suggests it. All right. I know. Let's keep U- an eye out for this. Usal is given to him. I know that one. That's his, uh, that's his CH, CH name. CH name, yeah. It's okay. going to be assigned. So I think he. Wait, must- Usal, uh, Usal means. What does Usal mean again? Base of the pillar. Base of the pillar. And, uh, yeah, he definitely, I think he does choose, uh, the mouse. Right, let's keep an eye on that because I would think that that's really interesting and scary if that does happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big moment. Right. And, uh, you'll, you'll know, I think it actually might even, uh, be kind of like the close of book two sort of thing. I'm like, it's another like good, uh, good threshold moment where we're. It'd be the close of book two? Isn't book two named Muad'Dib? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't so, that be appropriate that he picks the name at the end? I feel like oh, okay, okay. Never mind. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Book guess, three I mean, ends with him taking the name on. So uh, this is all the book is about, Mike. All right, that's no, no. fine. Uh, that's I'm not. Fine. I'm not entirely sure on the timeline. Don't worry about that. Oh, but that, something good happens here, though. What's that? He closes his eyes, thinking, "Now, my father, I can yeah, mourn you," yeah. and he felt the tears. Yeah. So, so he finally, good. he finally gets to grieve. That's why, like, that's how that that's how that whole first book ends. That's got to be a relief is, to him too. Mm-hmm. He I, knows he can feel grief. Yeah, yeah. Thinking of that, if he didn't know it was going to come back, that he does, it's sort of like I'm human again. Because I think he did lose a little bit of his humanity in that moment, or at least wasn't wasn't sure where he it's, was. It's kind of a shock. Yeah, just a little <laughs> just, bit, a little weird. bit, a little bit. Seeing naked time. Gets ya. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> but it's I'm like that is were there you were gonna put all your questions as oh we went through God, in the chat. I don't even Did, know if I have any more now. Any. <laughs> I think I think I uh definitely spoke up at each point. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have oh my god. I think yeah, like I said, I mean, I mean there was yeah. there was a lot, and I I feel pretty th- like we thoroughly tackled everything in there. Oh, so okay, so Baron doesn't know. That Lady Jessica is his daughter, right? Correct. So I wonder how that would have changed things if he did know. Hmm. Because family is important to him, but at the same time, he killed his brother, didn't he? No, no. Abelard oh, left. That's right. Abelard peaced out. Oh, that's right. Because because he knew he would have been killed, probably. Oh, wait, wait. Or was that? Because he killed someone who was his family. You're right. I'm actually, I'm free. was it an older brother then? I thought. I think it might have been. Or no, he killed his father. Is that what it was? No, he killed he killed his mother. Oh. You remember he took her up to the I think the mother Wow, I can't believe we were we were completely blanks on this. Yeah. I mean, this was like chapter two we talked about this, so Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm think I read I definitely remember he went upstairs and he killed his mother alone in the room that oh night. Because it was sort of like there were creepy rumors all surrounding it. Oh. Um and then he came down. I think it was uh Either like the Mentat went crazy or something and killed the Duke or the Baron. What? Like, no, like his his dad. And then uh no whoever killed the dad, the Mentat killed that person. Then the mom orchestrated it and the Baron killed her. Wow. And then he kept that because uh, that Mentat stuck around for a little bit before we got Piter. Because I had like I think the years that the whole he had that Baron on. And then all I know for sure is Abelard left. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> You're like this uh, card. This card's yours. It's good. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but so now, do I think oh. if uh, yeah, with how he treats royalty, that's a strong point. I like, wonder what would have happened there. I mean, how he would have treated that. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have given her to Piter. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd... Or maybe he would have just made sure Leto found out, and oh, maybe would have used that against definitely. him. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh man. 
that yeah no i just had that question i was just that's a, that's a good lingering one i like that oh um, man so i don't have a deep dive for you mike that's fine because uh, I don't have a clever ruse for you today. It's time for the glossary game. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa. I'm just still in shock there. <laughs> I'm just, I can't process this right now. That's not good. Because <laughs> uh, I did have an alternative to the deep dive, but it can wait till after the no, glossary okay. game. Yeah, we can, we can do it after glossary game. Yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 uh, oh, this is the other thing we have to finish up as we finish our last chapter. We got to yeah. do our last words. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What are, what are we at for a score, Mike? So it normally would be 26. 20 or 26 18 but it's gonna be 25 19 25 19 you yeah, say that's a point for my side it's going to your side now uh there's a reason for this derek would you like to go ahead and uh this, this is a glorious reason like the people have spoken we've gotten your a word your call to arms was successful derek <laughs> my propaganda core is the <laughs> finest <laughs> the finest yeah so we got uh an email mm -hmm. uh our email has just been blowing right, we got a mailbag now late. yeah i have a name for that What's a good Dune, uh, Dune name for a mailbag? Uh, I don't know. It might come during season two. <laughs> give me a give me a week to like look through the book. Mail uh, donkey? Yeah, they don't. No, uh, so they have what a they thing don't... called a, a distrans. Is I'm what glad they that's not my word for today. <laughs> I looked at that and thought about it, but I'm pretty sure we talked about it briefly. We did. We yeah, we definitely off yeah. like we touched on it once. Um, and uh, it's cool. It's like uh, you put it into a bat. And a bat takes it for you. Uh, we're going to see it really soon, so I don't want to go into a dive. Okay, yeah, I'll do fine. it during then. But the you book. basically, it's like a message on an animal, and you send the animal to go. Yeah, and then, like, it is, like, biologically encoded in that so animal, like, so to speak. A stealth messenger pigeon. Mm -hmm. Like, you get the pigeon. You like you. It doesn't have a message on it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not carrying anything. It's literally inside of it. And uh, you have to have the decoding to hear it out of it. Oh, that's so cool. Because, like, uh, when it squawks, it's doing the message. It's sort of, what? It's sort of like imprinting the voice in it. It's really cool. Oh, my uh, gosh. Do some tech means. But I digress. What's it we, called again? It's a distrans. A distrans. Yeah. All right. So uh, Laurel has written into us, and uh, she wrote a fantastic email. Um, it started off, she's a little drunk on Sunday night. Hey, <laughs> must <laughs> right? be listening to our podcast. You clearly are doing listen or uh, <laughs> Spice World listener. And uh, I love. she's like, I gave you sort of a text wall. It can be found at the end. So there's some editing to this email as it went. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, but this is someone who she's loved Dune uh, and didn't have friends uh, that they were as nerdy in college and stuff that were into the book. So I can totally sympathize. Like, I had no one to read to with me for You had to years. trick me into doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how desperate I got for it. And so she said, uh, I really appreciate the time and effort you both have put into to make an interesting show. I actually ended up buying a copy of the Dune Encyclopedia to follow along. That is so good. Another person buying the encyclopedia. Thank you so much, Laurel. I hope you enjoy it. Um, oh, my God. If you have any uh, article that we haven't gotten to that you really like, let us know, too. We can totally, like, fit that into an episode. Oh, do you think we can do deep dives by submission? Oh, definitely. Oh, that'd be cool. We can do it. If the people ask, Mike, I will change points in a glossary yeah, game. Apparently, we'll do anything. I mean, the kind of the reason we did Gamont, uh, part of it was that that guy on uh, Instagram had left us that message. Oh, being like, yeah. He's like, hey, look at this one. And I was like, oh, I'll get to that. Totally worth it. That was such a fun wait, article. Wait, wait, hang on. Let me look up who that sure. was real quick. Let I want to give credit uh, where credit's due at the very least. And you will. And um, so then Laurel, she big thing she wanted, or, uh, wanted to get out to us was uh, she had some uh, interesting points to make on the glossary game, Mike, and specifically the Alam Almuth Al. When we did uh, that episode, you and I were kind of going back and forth over this mystical plane, and I was very poorly explaining um, 
uh, Plato's World of Perfects. And uh, she kind of gave me a better summary of it. I'm going to kind of read you from what uh, she sent in here. And it's got some little quibs of uh, Dr. Professor Wikipedia. As uh, she cited her sources Dr. of it. Dr. Professor Wikipedia. So the Alam al-Mithal is a plane of existence in Islamic theology that shares a lot of similarities to ancient Greek cosmology. Uh, in quotations, Plato's realms of perfects, etc. Uh, this Greek cosmology had a profound effect on both early Christianity and Islamic thought. So this is from Dr. Professor Wikipedia. And uh, she did leave uh, some links in here, too, for us to follow if we want to dig into this some more. And um, goes on to say, um, let me get down to the too long didn't read here. Uh, God needs a buffer zone between the mundane world and the world he inhabits. This is the Alam al-Mithal. Humans may travel to the Alam al-Mithal during dreams or in states of holy trance. So I guess in a way, like that's kind of like Paul's future sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and as well, we're going to see the uh, the Fremen have sort of like a holy trance they go into. And uh, from there, God can reveal prophetic wisdom via his angels. One can converse with jinns, etc. Hey, when it's uh, J-I-N-N-S, that, that's the same as a genie, right? Do I, wait, do I wait, spell it for me one more time? Uh, J-I-N-N-S. Yeah, jinns. Yeah, so is what is a genie then? Is that different? Or a J or jinns has a, a D a in D. it. A well, DJ. I think you can go either way, or are they different it, entities? It, I think it's, it's uh, just different interpretations of the spelling. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, a jinn is like uh, the origin of like what we call a genie. But so, they're they're not necessarily like, uh, hey, here's your three wishes. They are like... Sure, sure. They're like, uh, yeah, a little whimsical. I'm not thinking like Aladdin, yada, yada. But right, just right, right. pronounce it. I've always wondered that. I've never had any time to ask they, someone. They're usually, like, yeah, they are like usually creatures. Uh, I think traditionally, I think fire is associated with them. Okay. But they're like uh, creatures, uh, like almost elemental creatures of the past that have this great, like almost omnipotent power. Yes. I think it's different from uh, story to story, but I think... Some of them can, like, feed on your mind or your nightmares. Oh, that's awesome. Um, In uh, my favorite comic book series, Fables, uh, when the Middle Eastern fables show up, one of them brings a genie lamp. And uh, it's a big allegory for a weapon of mass destruction. And they're just like, they brought a genie lamp? That's insane. It's sort of like bringing a nuke to a meeting. Yeah, pretty and, much. <laughs> uh, but well, what they describe is the genies for them are beings of almost 99.9% .9 pure magic. And it's just like, they're the only thing in the universe like that. They're just pure, baby. And uh, super <laughs> powerful. Pure, baby. <laughs> um, but I'm going too far. So, uh, as this place where uh, God can reveal prophetic wisdoms via his angels or these jinns. And in it is one step above the manifested world and therefore more perfect, uh, while still as real as the world we inhabit and perceive through our senses. And then still like one kind of degree away from the heavenly world where God resides. So I uh, I appreciated her coming to that of just like uh, this is sort of that intermediary world, which I was trying to kind of describe. Um, and I think I just lacked the vocabulary and the greater religious understanding to kind of explain that to you. But Laurel, thank you so much for writing in. Thank you for coming to my defense. I needed it. And uh, <laughs> oh, I hope it's uh, not as foggy and rainy down in San Francisco for you right now. Hope you're having some wonderful weather. Our weather's been really weird of late. Yeah, we've been all over the place. Getting slapped around like you in that uh, alleyway. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, no, not like this. I, oh, man, I can't find the person who... This is going to be so sad. I can't find this. Oh. Somebody. It was, it, was another, uh, it was another person in the Dune community that mentioned it. Exactly. That they were really excited for us to read that. And... Uh, Sorry, I can't find you off the top of my head. We'll reach out to you. Yeah, we'll uh, reach out. We'll give you a high five in a later episode. 
It's all right. Uh, all right. Well, so that explains where my points coming from, Mike. So you got me and Laurel against you this time. Yep, you got me. You got me. And uh, okay, so with that minor adjustment to points, where does that leave us for what last week's words were? Oh, you want to know what last week's words? The are, the right? penultimate words. All right, I got gotcha. you. We uh, <clears throat> we had two. We had uh, the test mashad. You remember what that was? Oh, I don't. Any test <laughs> in which honor, defined as spiritual standing, is at stake. Okay. Okay. And then That's we also had, yeah, we had uh, the Rue spirit, which relates to Alam Amathal. And uh, do you remember that one? No, I mean, I think oh, that man. one, I, yeah, I was, I was guessing like Ghost again. We're and... recording a day early too. So like this is, it was I've, had, a... I've had one, one Dune week. <laughs> had, yeah, you had a Dune week. And it, it's gone. The Rue spirit. <clears throat> no, I, I don't really remember it. In from in belief, the part of the individual, which is always rooted in and capable of sensing the metaphysical world. Being the um, yeah. <laughs> the yeah, aforementioned yeah, yeah. word. So yeah, no, you totally nailed it. Um, you got that. Uh, you you missed. All right, so it's ghost, but in your physical body, like you're still alive, but that's your ghost form. I think that's a simple way of looking at it, but I think a part of you is always rooted there, and you can always access it because of that root, mm. because of your root spirit. That's cool. Um. So yeah, not so much luck there. So we're twenty five nineteen. I mean, honestly, this game is mine. But let's see if I can skunk you. Let's see if I can uh, keep you from breaching twenty. Twenty twenty. Hey, uh, it's a sm- small little goals, Mike. Uh, <laughs> small you goals. Small goals. A mountain to make sure it's a mountain. Yeah. Cause yeah. If I can get to twenty, I'll be sure. <laughs> this week's words. I got two exciting ones. I'll go ahead and give you a hint right off the bat. I've. Whoa, whoa, I'll take the word first. Oh, <laughs> you want the word first? I, I would love the word well, first. Well, this hint rela- uh, relates to both of them, actually, though. Okay. I've okay. Uh, discreetly and briefly mentioned both in today's episode. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want you to tell me, first word, Kulon. K-U-L-O-N. Uh, is Kulon, uh, I think, is that the word for donkey? Damn, Derek. Damn, how do you know that? That that one is like it's still there's some that you just know <laughs> where like it sticks with Kulon. Um, I I honestly I think it might have been from when we did the board game. Oh I, right, because I think it says it on the card it for does, donkey. It, it does. Kulon, uh, would be the most recent. And you Dune board game. Oh thank you Dune board game. <laughs> so you got the twenty. Wild ass of Terra's Asiatic steps adapted for Arrakis. Yeah, donkey made it several thousands donkey. of years. Worm bait. Worm bait. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mentioned that briefly. When when did you say that? Um, oh, I, I mentioned the donkey early on. Oh, do you just say donkey or did you say cool? Oh, I said donkey. I didn't say cool. Oh, I wasn't th- giving you the actual okay. word. No, I was gonna be really. I thought you slipped the words in, Mike. Uh, no, I uh, yeah, no, I no, I'm not gonna slip the words in. I didn't slip. This but word if you in. did, I would. It's gonna be like it's taped on the back of your computer. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the back of your hand, Derek. <laughs> Whoa! You just uh, like mementoed me. <laughs> exactly. Last word of uh, book one, glossary game, residual poison. Oh, re- really? Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed with that one, Mike. Are you? Yeah, that one's uh, fairly straightforward, isn't is it? Is it? Because uh, do you know who made that poison? You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch! <laughs> Told you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so that one, it's just, um, it is such a big plot point later on. Oh, is it? I know your boy's gone. Oh. Uh, poison's still doing work. Hyder lives on! Hyder lives on in a way. <laughs> so right, uh, oh, not yet. Soon, somebody is going to be poisoned at the Baron's command using Piter's residual poison. 
which is a poison so nefarious, Mike, that it can't be picked up by detectors because really it's not a poison. The withdrawal of it is a poison and it kills you. And uh, by not being, no, I'm sorry. By not being administered the antidote, you die. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. That is residual you, poison. I didn't realize it was a big plot point. Oh. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's sort of like um, like the cone of silence. It's almost like that. It, it's such uh, a set piece. There's no it's a way set I piece in that, that chapter. Dang. But I had to end on a piter note. Is that why you chose <laughs> yeah, that? <laughs> this. this is my last hurrah of piter. Like, this is my closure, Derek. <laughs> I like it. I like it. No, that, that's really fitting. But doesn't that remind you of the spice that we talked about today? It does, yeah. Almost entirely. Yeah. Um, well, no. In the, So the difference is the, the poison is administered, and right. then I'm giving you the antidote from that point on, which right. is a separate thing. It is separate, I know. But so, it, just the idea that die from withdrawals of it. From yeah, not having definitely, it. definitely the withdrawal aspect being uh, how the spice gets you. I wonder if he came up with that idea from just the vast amounts of spice that he ate. Ooh, maybe. Yeah, like a, some sort of corollary yeah, thought. A, yeah. Just like, hmm, how this affects me. I've, I've got an idea. I wonder if I could somehow use like use this and weaponize this idea. I, I like to think that that's also something only in the uh, Harkonnen Assassin's Handbook. Probably. Like this is Probably. a piter, a piter kind of uh, something he devised. But uh, I'll give you the verbatim here for residual poison. Yeah, yeah. An innovation attributed to the Mentat Piter device whereby the body is impregnated with a substance for which repeated antidotes must be administered. Withdrawal of the antidote at any time brings death. You didn't like uh, scratch out and put Duke in there? <laughs> <laughs> the Duke Mentat. Right. <laughs> oh boy. But uh, no, I uh, I definitely, those were just great words and I wanted to use those. Cool, cool but uh, withdrawal was uh... what I uh, I was really referring to earlier on the episode. Okay. The withdrawals will kill you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha, I gotcha. Uh, uh, I feel like the coulon was the the good word that you probably had a chance of keeping on to. Yeah. Uh, I definitely knew residual poison the whole way through. Yeah, I didn't like. Uh, I, said, I had no idea it was yeah, going to be a big plot device. Oh, Damn cool. it! Where does that? Where does that? How does this end, Mike? How does the glossary game come to the a close? Glossary game will end twenty five to twenty one. That's not too bad. I am happy with that's, that. That's only uh, four points. That's pretty good. Yeah, all in all, Mike, that, yeah, some of those out of left field. And honestly, if there was going to be anyone I want to give a wrong answer to, it's going to be you, sir. So ah, great game. Wonderfully now, played. I feel like my math has got to be wrong here at some point. <gasps> that would be even better. No, no, actually, wait. I assume it only goes in my error if it uh, <laughs> or it yeah. gets worse for no, me. No, this is actually definitely wrong, so I'm not going to worry about it. Because, okay, no, we... We had 22 episodes, right? Yep. So how many were... And two from and two the... two bonus ones from our last episode. Yeah. So... That's 40... That's 22... So that's 23, 46 words, right? Yeah. Oh, no, that is right. Okay. Okay, perfect. For some reason, early on, we thought we were going to have 100 words. And so I was thinking about that. But that's just... That math just doesn't add up to that in the end. <laughs> that just that was the wine work. talking. <laughs> so... Our math was right. My sobriety was just confused. <laughs> it's just right where it should be, Mike. Um, <laughs> well, right. never mind. Well, is, uh, is that all you have for the glossary game, Mike? That's what I have for the glossary game. They're going forward. Are we going to keep going with the glossary game with whatever words we have left, or do we do something else here? I, I think it's time to I feel to like the shelf. game's over. I think we shelf it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to beat it. We've already actually said, Mike, we're going to end it. We don't want to uh, beat a dead Kulan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
just slap a shield on that baby and let it go out in the <laughs> yeah, desert. Slap and, ass uh, and get it. No, I I think we've I think we've done good for the words. Uh, I don't know what's gonna fill the void here, hmm. but I think we're gonna need something different for uh, for book two. All right, we are going on a lengthy camping trip this weekend because apparently we just love to torture ourselves with poor water discipline. Whoop, whoop. But um, maybe we'll do some brainstorming, try and figure something out. I've got a couple ideas brewing, but I don't know how long, like, the longevity of it all. So uh, we'll, we'll think about it. Okay. Ooh, or if you guys have any suggestions. Yeah, you guys please. want to see any, uh, any bits that you want to do or something that we're, uh, maybe we're not addressing as well as you would like, uh, let us know. Now's the time that we can uh, retool the things a little bit and mm-hmm. tighten things up and get the ship running a little bit smoother. But if we're done with the glossary game, Mike, yeah. I, I want to dump to this mailbag because I got uh, a... Yeah, didn't, yeah, didn't you say you had a little something extra? I got two more something extras. Okay, so okay. So three more something extras because I got I to roll Robert actually uh, ties into this next one. Robert. He sent us another message, uh, uh, Robert Corvus. Right, from the, Germany. From the Germany, from the author. So we talked about uh, Column of Smoke, Pillar of Fire. Yeah, and that yeah, yeah. enigmatic message that Leto got and how I was, I didn't know what it was. I was pretty mm-hmm. open about that. And yeah. uh, we've had not only did Robert chime in, but uh, Eli Mitchell sent us an email. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Robert, I'm going to lean on Eli for this one. His email was lengthy, came with two sub points into it. Oh, geez. And uh, his personal opinion and summary, as well as a good breakdown of like what it actually means. Uh, though him and Robert both sent me the same Bible uh, section to be like, Did they? this is what it comes from for sure. These gentlemen are on point. Yeah. Oh, man, they're so good. Um, so I just want to say like to both you guys, like uh, I appreciate it a lot. I Anywhere I err or where there's some little bit of knowledge that I can learn, like let me know. Throw it at me. And um, um, Eli, he does say he uh, he's like, I am a, uh, a Bible buff. Classic, not the OC. Um, and I uh, felt like he could give us a good handle on this and a direct quote to put this in context. So I'm going to give us this full quote first uh, in a kind of Gurney Halleck styling as we go. And this is going to be uh, from Exodus. So, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey for Succoth, and encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before people. So, that is our story of like, so while the, uh, what would it be? So while the Israelites are leaving Egypt and Moses Mm -hmm. is leading them out there, God is using the pillar of smoke. I'm going to confuse these words. Column of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. So it's one thing that's guiding the Israelites out. And basically from day and night, they're able to follow it no matter what. This pillar. Wow. And uh, he kind of gives us this breakdown of it. And I'm just going to, I think, sort of read directly of what uh, Eli wrote here. Yeah. Do you feel that? No, no. Sorry. I'll share my thought after. Sure. So he's going to give me a brief summary, and then we're going to go. The cool part is how he thinks this ties into Dune again. Okay. Uh, So the important context before and after these verses is that after the ten plagues, uh, the Lord, and this is in quotations, by some understood to be capital G God, others an angelic representative, end quotations. Uh, So God is leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness to eventually reach the promised land. 
Egypt at this point was a fertile Nile Valley that would have looked similar to Caladan. And the wilderness is not like a North American wilderness. And I really appreciate that he specifically went there with this one because that's exactly where my mind would have went. Because mm-hmm. uh, he's saying, but no, it's more of like it's a desert. Exactly. That mm. would be exactly what's outside once you leave the Nile. That's the wilderness uh, from that perspective. And uh, so God leads them uh, to the Red Sea. This pins them between the water and Egypt's army and would appear like they were led directly into a trap. Pharaoh pursues them and Moses parts the Red Sea and the Israelites cross following the pillar while Pharaoh in his arrogance pursues and then is swallowed by the seas. So it's going to be God leading him out. Um, he hits a few things to put this in context, but I just want to go down to then like his kind of uh, summary of it. And... Uh, he goes, therefore, I believe that this note Leto received was a message from Kynes to abandon the <gasps> castle for the desert, a promise that even if it was a difficult path, it would ultimately end with success, uh, in quotations, reaching the promised land. He is saying that the enemy is upon him, and he must leave his comfortable castle for the desert to survive. I, so that's probably right out of the OC Bible, then. Quotation. Uh, sure, the quotation definitely, because like uh, all the Bible quotes would have like been transferred. Right, right, right. right. Ooh, oh, for you saying like for, for Leto to understand it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there was context there. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, because it's just I don't know the Bible. Right. All, the, all these guys do. <laughs> Eli knows it. Leto knows it. Kind of. It's just me. And uh, so he kind of then sets me up with like these parallels of like what each one's were. So Kinds knows he's played a role in setting this trap, but still thinks he can lead them out of it. The patriarch at this point uh, is Joseph and Leto are sharing the same role. And mm. as you know from this chapter, oh, so actually I want to point out, uh, Eli was a little worried about spoilers. Oh, this is perfect. That No, no, that Leto's uh, skull becomes a religious icon. We learn in this chapter. So this mm. is like perfect to bring up right now right, uh, right, right. on top of it. Because um, saying Leto and Joseph are the same one, Joseph was the ones whose bones were going to be carried out in that Oh quote. my God. His remains will have religious significance. The two pillars that are one could be figuratively Liet Dr. Kynes, but this is also, uh, but uh, but also this attack takes place in the dark. Frank Herbert is using light symbolically, and the attack occurs at night. Kynes did not light the path for them, contrasting with the biblical example. Now it goes on a little bit more. The pillar. Um, was God or thought of as God. So it looks like uh, looks like Liet let a little of the mythos get to him also. God or godlike figure walks into a known trap to rescue his people and bring them to the promised land while at the same time completely destroying his enemies, leading to a whole new way of governing. Now this is a little bit beyond you and uh, he specifically uh, includes a word in here I've omitted for the sake of not like uh, bringing you down it. But okay. it, uh, I guess I'll tell you, it's, it's the golden path. And it's like the, god, the golden path. It's a god emperor thing. It's what he's okay. uh, going down to. But basically like so way, way down the line this will lead sort of like how it took 40 years to get right. together like well beyond this book. Does, this, that, does that relate to any of the paths that like uh Paul sees in his prescience. Yeah, yeah, it does. In a way that, like, oh. in a way that, like, comes up in future books, though. Not, it, it gets, it's not like fleshed out at all right now. We just have like a. Yeah, yeah. It's. It, I guess it's sort of like um. You know how I told you about face dancers and golas. Yeah. So they come up in the next book, and so they're just they're not in this universe at all. If you were to only read Dune, right? Okay. You would have no perception of them because they're never mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's how the Golden Path is. 
All right. Like when you read the book later on, it's going to reference back and talk about it like Paul knew all about it right. and tell you these but moments. But it won't tell us anything now. Exactly. And in part of that is because Dune was going to be a, it's the, a single it's, novel. Yeah, it's the it evolution be, of the author and the story. Right. So he's, he, he got a good idea. And it, it is, it's a great idea, Mike. And it would have been so good to include it in this one. Um, but in the way he like sews it in, it actually, hmm. it's pretty good. I like it. Because hmm. um, okay. he basically makes up a reason for why Paul didn't want to look at it. Oh, it's one of those. I'm so curious about that, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the last one is actually a little revealing, so I don't want to read you his last bit. But uh, Eli, solid, dude. Very solid. I had a thought. Oh, thank you, Eli. That's crazy amazing. Oh. And none of us would have known that. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you his little uh, epilogue because I like that it has a. But so he gets he gets humble too. So he says, "Hope this helps." This is, of course, not a sure answer. It is still open to many different interpretations. So I hope you enjoyed mine and finding the quote for you if people haven't already told you. It's pretty Boy, good. It's awesome. Spot on, dude. Awesome. You did great, and uh, I love that you and Robert sent the exact same quote um, just to be like trying to get this information to me so quickly. It's like. But we, got I, a, we got a great little community here. I do, dude. We got a little sketch of our own, Derek. You know what? I think we we got we got experts. Eli, <laughs> we got a Bible expert. Uh, I feel like Laurel's our Islamic expert right now, and uh, I don't know who else I can give ones to. Uh, oh, um, still many Stone Nicole, wine expert. Wine expert. Uh, I don't know who else we got. I'm a glossary expert. Glossary expert, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> can Self-proclaimed, I give, of course. Give one to the Kulian. Uh, but I told you I had three things. I've given you two. First. I have a thought okay. that occurred to me, and I want to touch on it before I lose it. Okay. So it was um, Pillar of Fire by day and... Nope. Column of Smoke. Column of Smoke <laughs> by day. God, okay, <laughs> done. <laughs> thought over. No, so but Pillar of Fire. So I, I think Columns, Pillars... Um, Usal. Usal. Yeah. And Paul, his name means base of the pillar. Yeah. Do you think there's any significance there? Because the pillar... I, could, okay, okay. Oh, wait, wait. Go. Yeah. Because yeah. okay. the pillar... In that <laughs> definition or explanation, the pillar is what guides them. And he even says, my name will be Muad'Dib, the one that shows them the way. Do you think there's, like, any correlation there? Entirely. Uh, enough. I, I will read you the beginning of the last line that I don't want to tell you from what Eli wrote. But it's pretty much exactly what you just said. Moadib becomes this column of smoke. Ah! <laughs> and pillar of fire. Ah! So, like, yeah, 100% Mike. But, like, we're going to have to wait to dive into what that means. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, yeah, it's exactly what Eli said. I feel so good. Yeah, you're, you're I feel right. like, I got to win today. <laughs> Wins for everyone. No one's losing. Um, but one last email, Mike. We got so many. It's so good. It feels so good to have so many emails coming. <laughs> Yes, and please keep sending them. Someone, we love it. Dylan sent us one. And this is a short and sweet one, Mike, but he sent us this video for a recipe to how to make spice beer and spice coffee. Spice beer. Spice beer. I love beer and I love coffee, Derek. I, I love spice. Uh, <laughs> I love spice. <laughs> so, Dylan, we are going to look into making this. And uh, I, I got some things up my sleeve for you guys. Mike and I got some plans. Uh, we're going to keep it pretty close to the chest for now, but I think it's going to include spice beer. Uh, I yeah. don't know if it'll include spiced coffee. I'm not as like crazy on that. Maybe one. we could have both. If it, if the spice is there, exclusive. I drink a cup of coffee while doing this too. Okay, fair enough. I'm just I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm just stoked for spice beer. Uh, spice uh, beer sounds good. Oh, we gotta make drunken Idaho's. There, it that is a cocktail just begging like, to be made. Oh, I was gonna say it only takes one for me, but <laughs> it's <takes laughs> a very light drinker. 
Oh, man. And if you guys have ideas for Drunken Idaho, send them our way because that would that just sounds wonderful. Oh, OK. Oh, man. I should have sent that right back uh, to give Dylan the first shot of that. Oh. First shot of making a Drunken Idaho. Yeah. Of, uh, but we'll, yeah. Hey, we're not airing this for another couple of weeks. Give him a give him a shout out. Give get, a shout let out. Him know. I'll get on that. I'll get, get him on, on the that. case. <laughs> get on the blower and give him, yeah. uh, give him a call. <laughs> uh, but I think that does it for the week, Mike, unless you got anything else you need to add in. I don't think so. That was that was good. This is good. This is so we're we're a third of the way done. Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Two more books to go. Paul is now a superhero. Like it, it only gets like we're done with the slow part of the book. Yeah. He says uh, each section gets faster. He did three different writing styles allegedly. Uh, so oh, for each. Oh, because he, yeah, he submitted it in three parts. Yep. To the magazine. So. So I will keep an eye out on that and see if it feels a little bit different as we're reading. Do you think they're going to be? Oh, do you think they're going to be shorter chapters then? Uh, yeah, I don't want to comment on chapter length. I'm really bad at that. From what we learned through <laughs> yes. doing this, from doing book one, not my strong suit. Oh, um, no. I think they're about normal, though. I, I bet we're going to have a few like shorties and a few longies. It's not a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling stretched pretty thin, Mike. <laughs> That's going to do it then. That's well done, Derek. Thank you. Well done, Mike. If you guys have a question for us, let us know, because we will shout you out. We will bring it up. Mm-hmm. If you guys uh, know any more wines that we can afford, let us know. Yeah, send, a, send a recommendation. Yeah, oh, uh, I think we had a couple. I couldn't find them at our oh. local store, so we'll keep hunting. Yeah, I, I know some other places to look. And also, uh, the other thing we want to keep doing is if you guys have any tasting notes, if you've tried any of the wines that we have in the Caledon Wine Ooh, Cellar, yeah. or if you've tried one you want to recommend to us, tell us what you think about how it tastes too, and we will include that in the wine cellar. And That's we're gonna, a great idea. We're going to build our own little wine community in That's here. That's kind of cool. I like that. Uh, and so, Laurel, whatever you were drinking, let if us you're know not a wine drinker, how it's, it's tasting. okay. You can lie to us. We won't know the difference. Based on our wine tastings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't be too far We off. describe them as flowers and plants <laughs> and animals. <laughs> Sometimes shapes. Walking down a road. <laughs> it was a dry road, yeah. I believe. It wasn't an appealing road. <laughs> We're on Instagram and Twitter at Spice World Pod. Uh, you can always reach us by email, and I've appreciated every one of those, at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And you can also visit our website, SpiceWorldPod.com. It's, yeah, it's becoming a little better every day. It's beautiful, Mike beautiful and uh i think chapter 23 that, is next oh oh man we never actually talked are we gonna do book one book two chapter one? Oh, book two oh, chapter 23 great, I, ooh, I, I think know. book two chapter 23 okay here's the thing because i would love to do messiah and yep. i'd love to like maybe follow up with the other ones as well that i feel like those are gonna be like you know book two or whatever it be oh i, think oh, let's just I just do mean, chapters no, per i just mean how we refer in kind of talking oh, labeling no. wise for sure i just want to go with chapters they don't have any numbers do. in the novel so i'm just gonna say chapter 23 i like it i think chapter we just commit to that three and then when we get to messiah we're back to chapter one and we'll just refer to books as our thresholds as we cross them yeah it's a good mark yeah. I, like, I like it so and little silver medals we uh yeah we're gonna be back to chapter 23 and i got a little little quote pulled out for you mike <gasps> So, I mean, do you have any idea where we're even going to be? Um, it's just, it's enough of like a, a big full stop I don't know. in the book that it does, I think, I leave know, you wondering. I don't know how much time is going to go by, but I feel like we're going to be in the desert still, maybe traversing, maybe Duncan hasn't gotten back yet. Maybe we are heading out at night Ooh. and trying to traverse the desert a bit. Ooh, I like, I like it. You said night. Mm-hmm. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Yeah. An orange glare burst above the silhouette and a line of brilliant purple cut downward toward the glare. Another line of purple. Another upthrusting orange glare. It was like an ancient naval battle. Remembered shell fire, and the sight held them staring. Pillars of fire, Paul whispered. 
It's the Fremen. I didn't even do that one on purpose. I was like, <laughs> end it with Pillars of Fire. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> so perfect for it's, the day. Oh, I'm, oh, it all came full circle, Derek. <laughs> That's where we gotta end it. Until next time, time. The, the spice, spice must flow. I was literally searching for oil painting a couple days ago, trying to find like an That's auction amazing. site to like, I just wanted a painting. That's amazing. We yeah. got to reach out to someone then. Um, my brother, uh, the ones, uh, my brother has a set of three that my dad had mm -hmm. and they're, uh, I don't have a place obviously, so they're at his house. I think he's taking one down I could get from, but they're all bullfighting paintings. <gasps> uh, no. We, yeah, we had a bullfighting family, or not a, he wasn't a bullfighter, but uh, they lived in Spain. They were family friends. So it is something that's been around my house all the time. You know, if we ever have a video for this, we have to have like the Godfather and Morte in the background. It's a matador. Oh um, my God. And then one's the matador swinging it up with the bowl going around him. I'll oh, try to, I'll try to get that for you. That would be do great. It. If I'll, we do I'll, something I'll get like, the whole set. Yeah. Uh, I'll just be like, Tim, we need to borrow all three of these. Like, like if we do that, that'd be so good. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Welcome to my carita.